Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of That's So Random, a random movie podcast. As Hi. always, I am Heath Lambert. I'm here with Carrie Claypool. You know, sooner or later you think you would think I would learn that people have alerts <laughs> set up on Twitter for when their things get mentioned, but I keep not learning that lesson. We just did an episode on a film called The Scarabist. We were not terribly kind to that film, <laughs> and I feel like... My, my opinion stands, but I did say during the episode that if my facts are not straight, someone please correct me. And someone has taken the opportunity to do that. And it is the writer, director, and star of that film, Jean-Marie Spacuza, who is with us tonight, uh, who's here to set us straight. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm well. And you are joined by, and I'm only going to mention this once because it's not... I don't want it to become about that. But you're joined by your husband, Guy Hoffman, former drummer for the Violent Fans. That is all. That's the only time I will say that, <laughs> just so people know. And then I will not mention it again. Um, I feel like I'm walking, to, you know, in It's a Wonderful Life, the scene when he's mean to the teacher on the phone and then he goes to the bar and the lady's husband is there and knocks him out. I feel like I'm, that's the situation I'm walking into. But you know what? If I got it coming, I got it coming. I'm a man of my word, and I can take my medicine. So, so can yeah, you. I can do it. We're yeah, big people. We're so let's start with, I def- we definitely had some questions when we were done watching the movie about what was, because it's, it says it's based on a true story, and there were things in there we felt could not possibly be true. <laughs> so if you would care to, if you want to run us through, it's quicker as long as you want, I guess, your version of events of what led to you making this movie and your actual experience with therapy abuse well i had a thought too because it's a very long story and i would hate okay. for that to take up too much of our time it's, um, it's, it's why you're here so it's up to you <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's that's a that's a deep well because okay. it it spans for years and not only was there the incidence of therapist abuse but there was a litigation as well so it's very long, very deep. I was thinking, how about this? Maybe you guys could start with a couple of items that stand out that you want to ask okay. me about. Because you kind of invited me to say, okay, if there's anything to clear up. Um, it sounded like you guys had some questions, had some doubts about certain things specifically. And I did listen to the whole episode. There were a few things that I remembered. But... I thought if they stand out for you, then we could go, we could start there and then kind of fly from there. So sure. if that works for you. Well, I mean, it's obviously a, a dramatized and sort of enhanced version of what I'm sure actually happened to you. I, I, I don't imagine that your husband and child were kidnapped at gunpoint. No. That's more of the um, thriller element. <laughs> that's the thriller element. Sure. In fact, um, what I wanted to do in that expression was to it was a dramatization of how abuse is very isolated um that in fact is one of the things abusive people do one of the first things they do is they seek to isolate you from from your family from your friends from people who would actually have your back and stand up for you so i kind of i found that in a thriller it would be a good way to express that. Now, I will also say that the original screenplay for The Scarabist was about $5.23 million. 
which we did not shoot this movie for. Um, and it was much more like literal to the actual events, but they didn't necessarily play. This really happened does not always play. Sure. So you try to find a way to express, I think most importantly, the emotional landscape becomes the critical element in a motion picture based on a true story. Um, if I wanted to do this, 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 then by all means make, say, a documentary, for example, right. would be, you know, and, and maybe write a, an autobiographical memoir of that segment of my life. I don't know if you guys had the opportunity to read the essay links that I sent. Mm-hmm. But that gives a little bit more detail on the specifics of the actual events. So that was another issue for us. The cross on the head. I'm sure that's yeah, kind that's, of a I'm, thing. I'm sure there's symbolism and things involved. But as far as the as with Ilsa's voice getting weirdly deep, and then at the end with the cross on her head and stuff, is that because it, when you watch the movie, at least for us anyway, it it, it doesn't feel like metaphor it feels like there's something supernatural going on so tell us about that i guess that decision to include that sort of element i'll tell you i'll tell you something about that i i tend to come from because i was mentored by and very influenced by david lynch i tend to come from the school of i don't really like to explain movies i like the movies to express themselves fair that said that said i would say that one could take it metaphorically. One could take it literally. It really is up to the viewer, I suppose, sure. to make that decision. How I might take it or how I intended it, I'm even nervous to say that because that's like me saying, I'm going to put onto you what you should think this movie is okay. and how it should resolve for you. So I would say it's really up to the individual to decide. But that, that's art, though. Art is objective, yes. and the meaning you take from it from is is objective. I'm just, but I guess what, because we probably came across as maybe a little harsh and mean, <laughs> and and clearly I, I I we can tell that you had aspirations beyond probably the budget that you were allowed, and that's not really your fault. But because all my movies are chosen at random, I get a lot of movies like this budget level wise that just show up on Tubi and things randomly and those movies don't have metaphor <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so and those movies you know so seeing it in your it was easy for us to go to uh, not find metaphor yeah. there because it's not in other movies of this quote unquote caliber you know what i mean so there's that yeah i think the i think the decision to place it into the psychological horror category which was the decision of our original sales agents and distributors because we actually had a limited theatrical run for this picture we were um we did win a critics award it was a young critics award at the berlinale when we screened at the european film market in 2016. that was around the time that we had already been picked up for distribution and ironically there was a company called alchemy that was planning to purchase it for six figures and Alchemy went bankrupt that June. So we actually lost that aspect of the deal, but still did the theatrical release with 18 Entertainment. And then we were picked up for video on demand with a company called Silver Streak, uh, which is now Alianza OMG, and they do a lot for Ion. I will say that everyone who worked on the picture 
had a minimum of five years professional paid experience in motion picture. There's two definitions of the word amateur. The one, the first one is, is it's fair. you don't make a living, you know, you don't make money or you don't make a living doing what you do. Of course, that can't fall into that category. There's the second definition that says, you know, inept. That's like a definition two. So that's obviously, you know, one's opinion. I think sure. this is, this is poorly done or I think, which again, that goes to subjectivity. I will say that we did before theatrical release, we did receive three overwhelmingly positive reviews from three professional uh, film and media critics. One, David Lurson, who is a film historian critic who's written multiple um, academic texts. We had Bennett Pomerantz, who sadly passed away. He was a longtime media critic for decades. And then of course the other Tony Sokal from Entertainment for Tomorrow. And um, we had one uh, that was like two out of five stars, but it was from like a guy who's like a blogger and a lawyer or something, so and a gamer. So it's like he's kind of probably coming from this perspective that hey, you guys were, which is like, what is this supposed to be? And that's valid because when we were taking this originally to distributors, this was an age where multi-genre films weren't really done. Since the Scarabus multi-genre has become popular, as has the two female leads. That was considered utterly non-commercial. You had Bergman's Persona, you had David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, both of which are considered to be art house films, not you know commercial media. So this kind of opened the door for the two women leads, the multi-genre film becoming commercial. Also, we had one of our publicists coin the term the new noir, not to be mistaken for neo-noir which is where you're making a film like Chinatown, like LA Confidential, that's meant to be set in that era, but not made in the noir era. This, of course, is not that. I was definitely inspired by movies, uh, you know, that were of the film noir era for this movie. Um, and in fact, the shooting style, I was very inspired by um, Mildred Pierce, the 1945 Mildred Pierce, uh, not the miniseries. Um, I wanted to have both a film noir and kind of almost docudrama feel to it. I wanted the people to look real. I wanted the performances to feel very natural and not affected or performative. Because you see some of that in Hollywood. You see this, why oh you know? And I did not want any of those extremes. Um, I wanted it to feel, unless it called for it. For example, you guys mentioned, was it funny when Katie Colleton portraying Ilsa, who's named after the Nazi torturer, Ilsa House, she goes off. We called it, we actually called it full metal batchet. Um, and Katie being both an actor and a comedian, we felt that she could definitely pull it off. So the question of, was this supposed to be funny? The answer is uncomfortably so, yes. Uncomfortably so in the empty chair and all of that. We were kind of doing that, that kind of thing. So in those instances, we were looking for that. Obviously, in others, we weren't. And I think that's what freaks people out is it's like, wait, what's happening? Wait, what's going on? No, I, no, films aren't supposed to do that. So I think it achieved what I wanted, which is we have these extremes of people love it. Because I get emails from people who are like, oh, my God, the Scarabus. And then I get, you know, like, it sucks. And I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. Well, you get a reaction anyway. So <laughs> you get a reaction. Yeah, and I would like to think it's something... Sorry, go ahead. You're okay. <laughs> yes. That, not... was, that was quite a run, but I, I no. you know, I, I get, I get excited about it because I, I 
we spend a lot of time crafting it, the sound especially, the soundscape was really critical. It's very hard at this budget level, especially to get certain types of quality sound. We actually did a thing where we did kind of a Meisner thing where you land and you only give audio when you are not moving so that you're not, because you don't have a big budget for ADR and other kind, you can't go back and record. These people go on and move on to do other things. So this is kind of an interesting low budget trick that I've never exposed before, but this is what we were doing. So that we would get perfectly clean audio, which according to festivals like Slamdance matters more to them than video. Because what do we notice actually in a film first often? We can close our eyes and we can hear a film. We can see a film when our eyes are open, but we often notice bad audio before we often notice bad video, even if we're not aware that that's what's happening. You know, so we had Studio Unknown. Studio Unknown is the company that was in part created by um, Eduardo uh, Sanchez, who was one of the directors Blair of Witch. Blair Witch. So this company did an incredible job. And if you guys would hear it in a theater, these whispers, you can't get this on video. This is, this is the unfortunate thing about video on demand anytime. You do not get the depth of the soundscape on video on demand. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. These voices like move around you and then they envelop you. And it's freaking, I mean, it, you're just like doing this kind of stuff. Like nobody can see because I'm, you know, it's my voice, but you're looking around like, where, where is this coming from and how is this happening? So I really hope that we can do more um, like theatrical with it because the sound is so amazing in a theatrical setting. Yeah. Well, it's something that I strive for on the show and I, I hope it kind of comes across is that I don't, what, whatever I think about a movie, because I watch a lot of movies and some I have to talk about, that I don't, I, I try very hard not to attack people personally so i hope you didn't feel other than i'm attacking your art which i mean that can feel personal certainly and another question i've always had for myself when i do this show is is it possible for me and nobody who has a small time show to punch down you know what i mean is there a certain budget level where you know is it even possible for me to be picking on someone but when you, i hear you've things, said it before you've never made a movie so that's true and I've never made a movie. Yeah. So uh, at the very least, for me to pick apart someone who has made a movie, let alone one who studied under <laughs> David Lynch and has won awards and all these other, you know, it is well within the realm of possibility that we were just in a mood or something and <laughs> the movie went right, you know. Or right not. Us. I mean, or, or not. That's the interesting thing about it. I, I think that, I think that, you, it was interesting too, because as you guys were talking, there were moments where you were like, is it possessed? I don't know. And I'm, I'm actually sitting listening going, no, you got it. You got it. And then you guys would pull back and be like, but I don't know. No, that can't be right. And I'd be like, no, no, that's it. You know? And so it was really interesting to listen to you guys talk about it. Because I, if I was like in the room with you, if you could have heard me talking, I was like, no, no, they're on the right track. That, that is, that's the story. You've got it. You've got it. You're, you're going with it. You know, why is it that she's showing rocks and water instead of this or something like that? And it's like, well, watch Vim Vendor's Wings of Desire. You know, why is he showing this, this tumbling view of Berlin when we could be connecting to the two characters who are falling in love in this moment? 
the filmmaker makes that choice sometimes even for an unconscious reason. I think another difference, and this is where it's challenged, when you've got Vim Vendors whose film plays at Cannes Film Festival, you have people saying, this is art. This is a great work of art. And that's planted in the person's head. It's one of the reasons that major studios, before they even release something, have journalists tell them their opinion because people are very influenced by others' opinions. One of the things I was going to ask you guys is, did you go into this with this, I've heard this movie so bad, and I'm going to pick it apart? No, no I don't. So, because my movies, I literally, each week, I press a button on an app, and it picks a movie completely at random from everything that's streaming. That's the only, we, that's the only reason yeah. I, even, I even found your movie. That's so amazing. I did not come at it with any sort of, you know, yeah, and, and when whatsoever. and when I when I'm on because he has various guests, I'm just typically a guest once in a while. Once in a while, so when he tells me, "Hey, I want you to do this movie with me," I I might just check and see what year it was made. You know, I don't really, I intentionally don't look up about the movie. I just kind of okay, who's in it? Who directed it? What year was it made? You know, and I always I watch it once, just clean without looking at anything, and then I watch it a second time to that and that's when i take my notes and stuff and that's when i'll actually like look at imdb and look at rotten you know rotten tomatoes and look at you know do a little bit of, of research well you guys said that obviously the nine and ten star or depending on if it's four or five or <laughs> nine and ten they have to be fake i've heard this people say this and i've got to tell you i'm going to tell you part because oh. i was kind of ready for that so as that was an interesting assumption that i've heard other people make it those can't be real okay so without knowing these individuals personally, unless they contacted me after they had seen it or after they had reviewed it. They, I can tell you some of the people, without naming names, I can tell you what some of their backgrounds are. Professor of Film Studies at Loyola University, five stars out of five. Two award-winning male directors in New York, one four stars, one five. Several female directors, four and five stars, some of whom have been at Tribeca, some of whom have been at Sundance. I'm just giving you an idea. A theater director in San Diego, five out of five stars. So I can't, I can't say obviously if I did find out their names because I'm not permitted to do that. Sure. But I can say that it's ironic that the people who seem to be saying how bad this movie is often are not in the film industry making films. But the ones who are, who are professional critics, are like, this is amazing. And I can't help but wonder if they're coming at it from the perspective of the influence of it, too. Because it has had a big impact on the film industry since it came out. And obviously, they're aware of that because they're inside of that business. So they know how it's impacted it. So again, we don't know how much of it might be coming from, as you guys talked about, you don't want to come at it from a certain perspective and know all these things. You want to just watch it. Mm -hmm. They may be the ones watching it from this perspective of, oh, I've heard about this movie. Oh, this, you know, so who knows? I, I can't say because it's not my opinion. It's their opinion. I can also say that I've had like a, a, a top publicist whose first job, believe it or not, if you guys remember Sex, Lies, and Videotape, mm -hmm. Steven Soderbergh. She also worked on a movie less known by him called The Limey which I actually really like. I was very also influenced by the shooting style of the limey when I made Scarabus. And she was like, this is incredible. The acting is, I, you wouldn't believe some of the stuff I see. The acting is amazing. 
you are incredible. You should win a spirit award. I mean, this is, this is the weird thing about the therapist is that you have these extreme reactions. And it, this is what my intention was with you guys. I'm not coming on here to say you guys are wrong. Your opinions are wrong. This is subjective. You know, this is what makes it subjective. I also wanted to mention something else because I know you had said something about is it art? What makes it art? You know, what makes art art? So I went to the Stanford Encyclopedia. I looked up what their definition of art is. And they say that art is defined by its by an artwork. Of course, it has to be in, in actual existence, characterized by possession of respectively representation, expression, and formal properties. So in other words, representational means, is there a physical appearance depicted? The answer is yes. Does it convey a thought or feeling? Yes. Formal, meaning recognizable and structural properties? Yes. So does it fall under the category of art or artworks? Yes. Is it good or bad? That's, again, the subjective experience. So through the course of time, I've, had, I've encountered enough extreme reaction that what excites me about it is it's a, it's a response to it. it. You had a sufficient response that you did an episode. So that to me is still, there's a success there, even if you didn't like it or you didn't appreciate it, which of course is regretful for me because of course I would want you to, but to try to force you to is sort of like unfair because that's not what creating something is about. Hello. I appreciate hearing from, I know she has stuff to say. I appreciate definitely hearing this perspective because I think I will moving forward see things I kind of, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of changed how I'm going to my framework for perceiving different forms of art. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it yeah. does. Absolutely. I mean, I will say this, you know, for someone can say, oh, this is just bad. But the, the truth is there is part of our soundtrack. Some people say score, but score is actually like what Guy did, where he actually created pieces specifically for the movie. His being PTSD and all right, goodbye, which if you guys stayed to the very end, you hear the end of the voicemail message for the first time. Oh, right. Bye bye. You know, <laughs> you hear that, right? And that's someone actually thought that was Katie pretending to be the real life therapist and that it was cinema verite. And I was like, no, that's, that's the real voice of the person. I can use that legally because it was recorded. So she knew she was being recorded. That's the only reason I can legally use that. So we have to put the name out. Because for the reasons you guys pointed out, if you're saying this is based on a true story, actual events that occurred, and that I'm dramatizing certain things, she can come back and say, well, now I'm going to sue you because you said it was me who did those things. So you're walking this very fine line with based on a true story. It's based on a true story. It's inspired by actual events, which is a, maybe a weaker form of based on a true story. But I would say that a large majority of this film, and I know this is hard to imagine, you guys mentioned HIPAA laws. Um, there are three primary categories for mental health professionals. One is do no harm, of course, that's the first harm. The second is you're not supposed to see friends or family members in a therapeutic setting. The third is if you have any kind of personal social contact with someone, you are not supposed to administer therapy within 18 months, either, either before or after that contact. She violated all of them. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there are over 126 subcategories of those 
categories for her particular licensure, she violated about 63 of them. So, of course, two, at least two of the causes of action in our litigation, because we were actually co-plaintiffs in this litigation, um, uh, two of them, one was violation of confidentiality, of course, and the other was um, assault. Okay. So those were two of, two of the causes which were named in the league. And she was the co-defendant with a um, with her one of her patients. Let's say she was a co-defendant with one of the patients who perpetrated the act. Originally, the Sweeney character was a female character. I changed it because I was completely in awe of Michael Gull's audition when he walked in the door and auditioned for a role that was a female character. He blew me away. And so I changed the character. That is not the first time. That's actually the second time I've done that. In, in Night Rain, I actually did the reverse. I took a male character and made it female because I was so I was so enamored by yeah. the actor. I saw the character in the person. It's not with indie film, of course. You're not just fitting somebody in a slot. It's not cattle calling like they do at the studios. You're looking for someone to fit into a slot, into a role. But in indie, you're often looking to find that role inside of that person. And that's what I did. So Michael, for me, really, <laughs> quite honestly, is one of the strongest performances in the film. Michael Gull. Yeah, and that was one thing that... that character from beginning to end, you know. Oh, and, and that was one thing that I had wanted to mention, but I... The way that our conversation went when we recorded the podcast, it didn't come out, was that it was two females taking the lead in this movie, and that's huge. And I kind of regret not bringing that up, but the conversation just never went to that place, and so it just... But Well, it, I can tell you guys do kind of a conversational thing yeah. when you're approaching this, which works, I think, for your podcast. I think it works. There's You guys have a personality to what you're doing, and I think it worked for that, and it kind of it takes a certain trail... And, but it was, it was so interesting how many times you were like, oh, is it? No, no. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> you're going, you're getting there. You're finding it. You're finding your way through it. But that's part of the fun of it, I think, actually. I mean, that's, I think, what's exciting for me as a filmmaker is you guys actually sat down and took the time. It was thoughtful. And you were also bringing forward the critical issues, what which I mentioned on Twitter, the critical issues, which are, Therapist abuse is a is a is a, a huge problem. I don't want to say epidemic proportions, but I can tell you that the three law firms that I was in communication with, one which actually handled the therapist abuse for uh, Brian Wilson, the Beach Boy, one that is the top law firm in San Francisco, John Weiner, and then the other one here, Boston Associates, with which were my representatives. It's terrifying some of the things that go on that we never read about because you guys had mentioned if this really happened i would read about this you know what not necessarily frighteningly enough not necessarily if it goes to trial you might hear about it generally a lot of these cases settle out of court and then there's a certain confidentiality so you are not going to read about a lot of this stuff and that's almost scarier and i was inspired to make this movie in part because I really wanted to reach out to victims and survivors. She's not the little girl I once knew. <laughs> that was an interesting response to that, honey. And, that, and I'm glad you said that, because I was going to ask what led to the making of this movie. From, but you, you answered it before I could even ask. Thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah, um, and I think a that lot of the lines that Ilsa issues, a lot of the lines coming out of her mouth are real life things that either the real life therapist said or wrote in her notes, which is also kind of scary. The deer um, thing? That was creepy, icky. Yes. 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 It's very, it was, and, but you know, it's funny. Imagine if it comes from someone who's like 78 to 82 years old and you've lost your mother. You know, you've lost your mother, she passed away, and someone comes along and they seem so safe and so maternal, and they sort of take on that kind of role, and you're vulnerable to that in that moment. It's kind of like the worst possible collision at the worst possible time, you know what I mean? And someone would say, well, how could you not see those things? And I remember doing that to myself for like months. How, you know, that's why my character says, how couldn't I see it? How could I not see it? I had someone who was a therapist abuse survivor contact me and say that was one of the most powerful moments for me because she really felt like afterwards, like how, how was I duped? How was I tricked? How was I manipulated this way? And feeling that shame of that. And I definitely felt that until I realized, but you're not looking for that in a therapist. No, you're not and looking for someone who's going to hurt you. You know, you're, and you're trusting And perpetrators typically know who's going to be vulnerable, you know, perpetrators of abuse and violence, they know who's going to be vulnerable and they know how to groom people around them. A violent person doesn't look like what we think they look like, you know, they have set themselves up to appear wonderful pillars of society. And my victim is the crazy one. Which you get that when you get to litigation, they try, obviously they try mm -hmm. to, they try mm -hmm. to, and I was present for that. It's one of the funniest moments. Yes, per perpetrators have college degrees. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they're not stupid. Perpetrators hold public yeah. office. They teach classes. They do everything. They, and people don't see it coming because they have groomed the people around them. Well, and I really wanted to show this. It didn't come across because I actually worked with two different teams on the therapist. So team one, when I saw that what they were doing in post, I kind of took it away and moved with another team because I wasn't liking what they were doing in post-production. But I really wanted to show that the therapist actually was coming from a much more affluent arena than my character originally, because that's significant. That's one of the ways that they can really overwhelm you. And Pacific, dominate you. Pacific Palisades. Be careful what you say. <laughs> oh, this is, don't worry about it. Be careful what you say. <laughs> it's going to fall into the ocean someday. Don't worry about I don't know about that, but be careful. You're getting close. Uh, you mentioned the... Uh, the... Just hold up. You're okay. <laughs> I can cut it out, too, you if you want. Zero the last year. Woo! The... Uh... <laughs> You mentioned the actual voicemail that's that's in the movie, and I guess the question that we had watching it was that without any context, just as a viewer, that voicemail does not seem bad. It does not feel threatening, but I suppose if, if that's the eighth voicemail out of, you know, 12, that we're an increasing sort of level I'm of... I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm glad you mentioned that. Hold like, on did you not have any scarier ones recorded? <laughs> okay, here's the thing. Two mental health practitioners, three legal professionals identified the voicemail message by the actual therapist as quote-unquote abusive. Here's why. And here's why it's meant to be under the skin, not, again, I think this is what's difficult, this is not a jump scare movie, this is not 
technically a horror movie. As as David Larson, I think, said, he said this, he said it flirts with horror without surrendering to her charms. I really loved that phrasing, nice. actually. It flirts with horror. It skirts genres and flirts with horror without surrendering to her charms. If you think about someone telling you how you feel, someone who's been inside of your head, and you're right, in the context, you haven't seen everything yet of what this person's going to be doing. But she is basically saying, I have not hurt you as she is hurting you. When you place yourself in that vulnerable, I had one person who was a Hurricane Katrina survivor suffering from PTSD listen to that voicemail and actually had a mild breakdown from it. So we get different reactions from people from it. Very different. Obviously, people who have suffered certain types of abuse, they, it, it scares them very deeply because they know that kind of manipulation. So again, you're absolutely right. This comes down to who is your audience? Who is feeling what in that communication? Whereas if you have not experienced that, it might just be like, I don't see why that's so scary. But if you've experienced anything remotely, it actually physically becomes part of your sort of PTSD reaction to it. I'm being told what I think and what I feel by someone who's abusing me. I'm being told I'm not being hurt. I'm being told it's my fault. You know, I don't know what's come over you, done. And it's in this weird hypnotic voice. It's like, you're, okay, you're trying to hypnotize me through the phone. <laughs> you know? And it's even creepier when you don't tell people that's what you're doing, but instead you call it spiritual work. Because as David Larson identified, you're talking about this person who's like this new age therapist, you know, and she's using these techniques for the purposes of abuse and traumatizing people. And then you guys asked, what's the goal? You know, you guys asked, rightfully asked the question, what's, what's the goal here? Why is she doing these things? Why does all of this happen? And again, we come back to who is the narcissistic, who is the person who suffers from narcissistic antisocial personality disorder? They want to dominate people. It comes down to abuse and what they really ultimately what it leads to is self-destruction which is kind of what this movie was conveying and that's why she you know spoilers here for anybody who hasn't seen it but <laughs> so hopefully you won't listen to this if you haven't well, we seen spoiled it. it in the episode anyway so <laughs> if they listen to that they're already well, hopefully your regular listeners will yeah they'll usually watch the movie watch first, the movie first then... yeah you know, and, and I know we did another podcast with someone who's from Norway, and it scared, it really scared him, this movie scared him quite badly. And we talked a little bit about the, the self-destructive element. And so there's a two-prong, there's a two-prong quality to Elsa. She is psychologically unhealthy, and she is also, there are metaphysical elements to what is happening to her, because we see that progression where you, you guys mentioned the voice and the demon in the closet, which, you know, Carrie rightfully identified as Abaddon, the character who was yes, she portrayed by... She believes that she is in a transmission between a certain god and her belief. And she believes that she is being... That the transfer is complete. And she can take it out on anybody she decides to take it out. Well, it's also that therapist as God thing. You know, I mean, I, that was, I don't know if you guys read about this, but the original 1930, I think it's 31 Frankenstein, where 
they actually took the line out because it was too disturbing for audiences at that time. Now you can hear it in some different versions of that, that early uh, Frankenstein, but it's where he says, it's alive, it's alive, now I know what it feels like to be God. That's the line that gets issued uh, originally uh, in, in the Universal Frankenstein 1930s. Uh, so it's the therapist is God principle, I suppose. But well, that brings us back to the original question: If the shoe fits, wear it. You see, you like this shoe, wear it. Okay, but don't let it get you in trouble. What was another? Guys, uh, always kind of a bit non sequitur, but I get where you're going. What was another um, thing that we took uh, kind of issue with in your experience? And I'm sure making the movie, you had to kind of cut some corners and expedite the storytelling a bit. Um, but as far as the hypnosis stuff goes, I don't yeah. know what your experience with it was, but <laughs> just it's very, it's very, happens very quickly in the movie. And I'm sure you had to, yeah, sort of shorten what that actual experience was like for expediency's sake. I'm glad you brought that up. It was one of the things that John Weiner's firm said was eyebrow raising. Because in reality, uh, even though at the time, I thought it was spiritual work, meditation. These were the things that she called the hypnosis. She called it spiritual work and meditation. And um, But obviously, after the fact, realizing what had really happened, I when I took it to John Weiner, uh, he actually stated they were eyebrow-raising numbers which is pretty much unheard of for the most part, 85 out of 100 I think sessions. you're allowed eight and a half sessions out of 100. And so you, you're, you're yeah, absolutely really right. You're, you're absolutely right, Heath, that you have to work to condense and you want to move the story. Now, interestingly enough, I was contacted by a journalist who is also uh, trained in, in hypnosis who felt that it was extremely authentic what he was witnessing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. What might happen for with you two, let's say that you two are not suggestible or are moderately suggestible. It would take a lot more to drive in, drive you into a hypnotic state. But let's say my character, Lana, is highly suggestible, which again, we're not explaining because this is a show, not tell media. So if it doesn't convey that to someone, well, we know to some people it does, and to some people it doesn't. I've also heard people who are trained in hypnotherapy saying, this is crap, this isn't real, this doesn't really happen, this can't be real. And it's like, well, I can tell you, as someone who went through it, it was very real, but it might not be in your experience, you know. So, again, it just really depends on who the viewer is and how they're perceiving it. See, and I have been put under hypnosis once, and it took Quite a lot when I went. That's to news that to thing. me. When I did that thing at Rachel's. Anyway, I'll tell oh, you. Right. Yeah. yeah, and it took quite a while. You were? He, she was. I was. was. Yeah, I was put under. I, how do you know for sure? She recorded it, and I said things, and I was like, "What?" It was very, very interesting. Did you tell her about your alien abduction? <laughs> it was like a past life regression thing. It was super interesting. Oh, 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 oh. I'm learning. That was today. a long time ago. Anyway, he's like, wait, 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 what did you? Do? I don't so know stubborn. if it, you know, and I don't know if it's I true. I just know that 
it was interesting and I have a great imagination. So who knows? Well, but see, this isn't just about now you have to take into consideration though. It's, this is not necessarily about imagination or, or, or creativity. This is about suggestibility, suggestibility. That has a lot to do with two things, trust and will. Now for me, I also thought I was going into a very safe place with a therapist and that this spiritual work, which I understood that language, you know, be coming from that background. So I was very readily falling into certain states that had I known what was really going on, had that been transparent to me, it might not have happened that way. But when you're in a situation like a therapy office where you really feel you're you're giving someone your trust basically yeah. you're giving them their your, your full trust oh you're paying them for torture <laughs> well and this well, was a friend and i did trust her so i'm sure that had something to do with it because i've also been in situations with parties when they have the entertaining hypnotist and absolutely nothing happens to me because i don't know this person i don't trust this person but some people like you said are very suggestible because one girl like within 30 seconds was jumped up and pretended she was a roadrunner. Like she went saying? beep beep and went running around the room. So I know someone who did that in Las Vegas in front of a whole, you know, which you wouldn't think like you would be able to fall into that state of mind in Las Vegas, but for, she couldn't be hypnotized. Her husband was hypnotized. Like you said, within seconds, yeah. he was doing the same kind of thing where he was putting stuff on his head and acting like a chicken. And she was just like, how is this even happening? So, I mean, again, I think this is what's interesting about the therapist is, you know, you, you don't really see movies that are, I mean, you have movies now like Get Out and things like that, but this, this is before that. And by the way, Katie went on to do a show on TV Land called Teachers, and her showrunners were the executive producers of Key and Peele. So they were growing from the therapist when they made Get Out because they got it from therapist, which was a real life and when asked, where did this come from? Jordan Peele, I'm afraid to say rather disingenuously, said, I got it from Silence of the Lambs, which there's no hypnosis in Silence of the Lambs. No, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. So again, I think another reason that some people, like I said before, are really feeling the depth of this movie is because they recognize that there's a whole like new genre that was created, this new noir, as Jeremy Walker, who was the publicist on movies like Open Water and Blair Witch Project and others, you know, Paranormal Activity. He nailed it when he called it that because it was basically like, well, it's not noir, traditional noir. It's not neo-noir. It's some new form, but new old form. It's not like you're reinventing the wheel entirely. You're just, you're taking the psychological thriller and you're doing it literally um, and having, you know, parents, for example, who have therapists, you know, therapists as parents, they related to elements of this. I think it just I think it just opened a can of worms that I didn't see coming when I made it. I really wanted to make this film. Baby. What's, What's the name of that little baby? Florence. <laughs> Florence. Sorry, Florence. Oh, that's so loud. Jeez, Where are you out? Look at her. Your head. Her real quick. She's, she's just like super curious about everything. Okay. <clears throat> I hope I hope we're not being too hard on her having her sit through this. No. She's no. good. She just wants to run and play, and she can't yet because she doesn't have the skills. Oh. 
Four months. Four months. Oh, oh my goodness. She's just a little baby. Yeah. So one thing we definitely, I definitely want to talk about is, if you can, (laughs) is that piece of IMDb trivia, which I have, which blew our minds because we have never seen anything like that before about how reviews and things that had been posted IMDb were removed and turned over to the FBI and all kinds of things. Was that... My guess was that it was your scarabist or people working for her who were, like, review bombing you and saying horrible things. Like, is, is that... Was that the situation? When we won the Young Critics Award at Berlinale, we were, we, we were hit by a convicted cyber criminal at that time. For what reason, I'm not really sure. There was this whole campaign to, like, take my my page down, and we got, like, spam bombed, and our websites got hacked, and this is just this long-standing. We've been cyber-stalked and harassed for a long time. So, um, more recently, I was, and someone posted this on Twitter, so I can say this, I was, and I don't think it's a secret, I was a consultant and expert witness for a litigation that is still active uh, involving the creator of the room, Tommy Wazo. Oh, now you're talking my language, Tommy Wazo. Carry on. Expert witness on that case. I am still a consultant and expert witness on that case. It seems that some of the uh, cyber, for example, you, you mentioned the, the FBI thing. Someone took it down in between the time that we talked about it. Someone who obviously does not want people seeing that and you mentioned it, took it down. They're, they're obviously not comfortable about the fact that they're probably the cyber stalker or one of the cyber stalkers. So we do have some people who seem to have a, let's say, a, a personal stake in making sure that I am, how would you say, uh, discredited. Oh, you are pounded two feet in the ground so they can feel one foot taller? Perhaps. Yes. 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 And as a result of that, and because... Someone on Twitter, not you guys, but someone on Twitter posted in the same breath, um, basically, does bad movie Twitter know that the scarapist is available by Jean Marie Spacuza, who was a an expert witness in a litigation involving Tommy Wazo. So basically what they stepped into, maybe not realizing it, maybe they did, though, who knows? We don't know. We'll find out soon enough. Um, but what they didn't realize was that they were basically stepping into like a seven-figure litigation when they did that. So now his attorneys have to investigate, are investigating, to see who is posting some of these things in case they're trying to sway the litigation in their favor, but doing it without, without, uh, without ethics, without admirability, let's say. So that's what that's about. Wow, the, the unintended, unintended consequences of art, huh? <laughs> boy, oh boy. Well said, Heath. I couldn't say it better myself. Why don't you just make a painting? It'll last longer. Yeah. And of course, <laughs> the interesting is, what's interesting, well, then that can stir up all kinds of things, too, you know? So any art, I think that's what makes it exciting to me. That was one of the things I testified to um, at the trial. I said, you know, this idea that you can't you can't defame Tommy or the room because it's universally bad. My my statement was according to Konstantin Stanislavski, which was funny considering he's mentioned in the disaster artist, but I said according to Stanislavski, there is no good 
there is no bad, there's true and not true. So I've never really looked at the room as being bad. It's art. It's art. You know, it's expressive. It's all the things we talked about, representational and formal and all these other and many other things. But I do think there is a, a line you can cross into like a kind of a defamation or harassment or um, let's say, um, you know, a, a degree of negativity uh, that can damage a person's, you know, public image. Uh, it doesn't give you carte blanche because you decide that this movie is bad, that you just can say anything about it and the person. You know, there's there are lines we can draw for that, right? So Interesting. Well, yeah, that just brings to mind that quote from uh, Mark Twain, there's nothing good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. I love that you mentioned Twain because I also love his quote. There's, you know, there's three kinds of lies. Lies, damned lies, and statistics. You know? I didn't say that. <laughs> oh, I and speaking of statistics, so speaking of statistics, lies, damned lies, and statistics, I have some interesting statistics for you guys that I would love to share with you. Hey, this the Packers won. How did, hey, how did Minnesota do Don't <laughs> Couldn't tell you. I'm going to have to ask my 16-year-old son that. He's the only one who cares about football here. Okay, I did. I understand. <laughs> oh. So, so, just over 4,300 films were made in 2015, the year The Spirit was, was first released. Out of those films, just over 4,300, about 4,323, 14% went to market, 11% were repped by sales agents, 7% were accepted to festivals, 5% won awards, and less than 4% secured distribution. Scarapist achieved all of those things yeah. against odds, which when you think about that, when you see, it's like interesting when you put it in those terms. Again, this doesn't necessarily mean anything when it comes to the subjective experience. Does that mean that it's universally good or universally bad? Of course not. No. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it to me. Yeah, but it goes back to what I was saying. Of bare minimum, whatever anybody wants to think about the, the movie, good or bad, you have accomplished a thing that a small percentage of people accomplish, and that's not nothing. Yeah. That is definitely something. Definitely. And, uh, and it got me to my next movie, Night Rain, which was just, uh, we got our first actual invite without submission to a, a prominent film festival. You know, I was also thinking about, you guys mentioned the sheet. The sheet, I wanted that to look like Jordan, because her whole life when she says like, oh, you know, be careful, I'm having the, I need the floors clean, and of course it looks perfectly clean, because we're going now, we're like, okay, is this just for being weird or is she delusional or what's, you know, is she control freak? Like what's going on? It's very off-putting, but it's supposed to look like really kind of almost like the, the other side of her world is really not, not ordered. It's not ordered. It's not clean. It's gotcha. broken. Whatever's going on behind those doors is broken. And the lock, you know, that lock thing, that was a metaphysical that was meant to be metaphysical. Gary, oh. you mentioned that. It yeah. was meant to be not real at all. That's kind um, of what I thought. Yeah. What lock? The lock on the door. Oh, the blue lock. That's Guy in, in, in uh, special effects makeup. We hired a, a special <laughs> effects makeup artist who does like umpteen horror movies. I remember my editor saying, you're crazy to pay that money for just that, you know, few se those few seconds. But I liked the effect that it had. I liked the way... You looked in that closet. 
You know, I, I aspire to look that way when I, every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good it was. And in fact, originally, originally we had like this this doll hanging there, which did not play at all. It did not work. Oh, that's right. And we had oh, to reframe yeah. it in post-production. Right. You're gonna have a, a door open with all these uh, voodoo dolls hanging. It was it was an interesting idea, but it didn't play. Yeah, it and then the oh. the lights actually the lights at the end because somebody commented, couldn't they even afford like a police car? It's like, well, that wasn't the intention. We didn't have a police car that it didn't play when she walks up like where are the police it's supposed to be actually you guys were wondering where are people you know in wisconsin it's almost eerie but on a lake in wisconsin in late fall most of the people are back in illinois at their at their first home that's true and i should know that i grew up in bemidji so there's lots of <laughs> oh where did you grow up where did you grow up bemidji oh okay yeah. so you're familiar with like the lake house yep. thing and everything so yeah that makes sense now that you pointed out that it's late fall, yeah, of course. There's nobody around. Seventy-five like, percent of the residents have gone back to Arizona. <laughs> and when the police do come, they've never put their lights out. Anyway. No, they don't. Not in small town. <laughs> too small. It's too small town. Well, yeah. it, we did. We did have them because we felt that it. It you know rather than her just walking into the road, we introduced the lights in post production because it just made more sense story wise that you yeah. understood. That that's what was happening. I had already started writing a, a part two and three, and I kind of knew where I wanted it to go. Yeah, okay. yeah. I can't even tell you guys the titles because it's gonna blow your freaking minds when you hear it. But I'm like, I'm playing on this scarapist thing. It's funny because the one thing I've noticed is the title. People can't like. I think it was. I'll share this with you guys. South by Southwest. The one of the one of the screeners guys. He's like a young podcaster. He was like. This is terrible, but this is like the greatest title in the history of cinema. That was like the one good thing he liked about it. It was so scathing. Like he was just brutal about it. More brutal than you guys actually, believe it or not. So like I said, I've gotten used to it. Okay. But it's like, it was so interesting because one thing that seems to be universally true, except for maybe one person who likes to make fun of it or whatever, but a lot of people are hooked on the title. And you're right, like, at first, some people don't even, they're like, Scott Rapist, Scrapist, what? You know, but then once you're like, oh, oh, Scarapist, oh, yeah, that scary therapist, oh, sure. So you, you actually win over all the people that love right game. <laughs> Without even trying. I'll be honest, I really liked the thoughtfulness that you guys took, went at it with it. I appreciated it. You took, the, that's why I said thank you for taking the time <laughs> to actually watch the movie so thoroughly that you, you analyzed it and stuff. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and it, another great thing about your movie, we've watched other movies that I have had to really try to stay engaged in watching. I did not have to try at all. Your movie definitely kept me engaged. I was, what's happening? What's going on? It's not, it's not boring. That's for it's sure. It's definitely not boring. It's it Thank keeps you. For you that. It keeps you like, it, you're engaged in it. That's what someone else said to us too. Actually, they were like, you know, I have to say, it held my attention. <laughs> you know, they're like, it held my attention, and we have an incredible amount you guys have probably noticed, of sound and music. In fact, the only place you really don't get music with sound design is in the therapist's office because the idea is that in the presence of hell, there is no music. Music does not exist there. 
So that's the stark contrast. That is the stark contrast of those two mm. worlds. Yeah. And there's a long, there's a super duper long pause between an exchange with you and Ilsa. And it's uncomfortable for people watching the movie because they think, oh, dead sound, dead, it's dead silence. That's no, 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 bad, bad, bad. But it's really weird and wicked. <laughs> I love that part. It, it sort of freaks, it's freaky. I mean, I think that's part of it is like, it makes people so uncomfortable. And we, by the way, the trigger warning. Okay, so because you guys mentioned the trigger warning, where did the trigger warning come from? I had a... So a, a therapist that I had been working with who watched it because I asked her, what's your opinion about how people might respond to this? Do you think we need to kind of warn people ahead of time uh, who might have a reaction to it? This was her recommendation that we give the trigger warning, that we use the, the, the language of authentic emotional landscapes to give people a heads up in case this is something that might affect them in a, in a very harsh way, like a, like people suffering from PTSD, for example, and stuff like that. So uh, we did have one person who works with veterans who did have someone react, unfortunately, psychotically to it, which is why we then added the, and it has been known to cause us, you know, yeah. psychotic states. We have to let people know because... We don't want to be the cause of re-traumatizing people before they have a chance to make that decision for themselves. Yeah. Obviously, oh, so. we should try to make a movie that actually in the loving. Is that possible? No, no. Were Were you aware that that trigger warning no. is not is not no. in front of it on Amazon? It is not, and I might I might okay. ask the distributor to put it up there it's not going to be on prime much longer ironically we were just picked up by a major studio platform okay so it will still be available for sale uh it won't be on prime it's going to be on this other platform uh in time for halloween and we're doing these screenings of course that we talked about which you guys would love this i just got an email today in addition to the email about night rain i just got an email that um because they had asked for it cult movies cult movies international film festival wants to screen it which it's so unusual that a film that was released six years ago they'll usually it's like if it's made after a certain amount of time or whatever there is something about this movie and that's why i don't know i just think it's best to just let people experience it the way they experience it but i gotta tell you some of the things like i was saying before that you guys thought this can't be right you you nailed it you you did get it. That's good you to were know. right there. It it absolutely the things that were supposed to be funny. Someone I know said, "Were you actually taking the worst experience of your life and making fun of it?" And I said, "Yes, I was, because <laughs> that was one of the ways that I worked through it was with humor." I um, imagine it was very therapeutic. It was. <laughs> it was. And at one point, it was suggested to me that I should portray this therapist. To which I said, "Oh no 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 no." Because that tends to be the very meaty role, you know. So someone said, oh, this is just a vanity piece. It's, a, it's like, no, if it was a vanity piece, I probably would have been this But I couldn't do that because I couldn't play a, a character based on someone who brutally traumatized me and, and assaulted me and abused me. Uh, I just, that would have probably ripped me apart. So, um, no. Probably. Hey, what are you guys going to dress up as on Halloween? We don't know. I'm not even... 
thought about it yet. I don't know. I was Doctor Strange last year, so I might really get lazy long. and do that again. You what? I'm gonna grow my hair really well, no, long and just be a Before weird you, like, dead person. Uh, you got a month, you so you better get working. The Halloween. Uh, there's something I want to. There's something I want to mention though. I I I really appreciate the we had guy. We had a former member of Quiet Riot, believe it or not, who con constructed some of the music. Um, I was very proud of the sound too. And, and the, oh, oh, and you guys mentioned some of the day for night stuff. Okay, my editor has an absolute fetish with blue. So some of that stuff really was shot at night. But he loves blue. So he colored this in a really weird way. Again, this is another thing that freaks people out. He did not run it through a colorizing or color correct program. Believe it or not, he did every scene frame by frame practically coloring this. Wow. I, I'm not kidding you. It was so ambitious what he did. <laughs> I've never, ever seen anything like that. But that is, that's actually what, and I love this because I'm sharing stuff with you guys that I've never in all these years mentioned before because you brought it up, you know, so that's pretty cool. So there. <laughs> so, yeah. so there you. Well, we have been uh, definitely educated. Yes. And I, <laughs> oh, when you make oh, these things, thing. go ahead. One more thing. Sorry, Keith. I don't mean to interrupt, no, no, but please. you know, the there there is a sec there is um the soundtrack. Some people say score, but soundtrack. There is a soundtrack piece that really is on permanent exhibition at the Brooklyn Museum, the Elizabeth Sackler Center of Feminist Art. It's part of um it's part of a larger work called the Dinner Party by Judy Chicago. <sighs> we were approached by her for this piece by uh, Hildegard von Bingen a German composer from the 12th century. That piece is in the earlier part of the film. Lana plays it on her phone when she's having like the art, she starts having the argument with Nathan and stuff. So that, that piece is actually, it's a museum piece. Oh. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. They came to us too. I was contacted by the Elizabeth Sackville Center. Chicago would like to use this piece in the dinner party for her segment on Hildegard of Bingen. Would that be okay? Sure. After review that movie, <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that. I mean, opinions aren't supposed to be wrong. But the more I listen to you talk, the more I think my opinion is what. Yeah. <laughs> I must have missed something because. I kind of want yeah. to watch it again. But I will say that, regardless of, because I don't just make fun of movies. I also get occasionally, if I'm lucky, I'll get movies that I wind up really liking on the show too. So I'm, it's not every week making fun of stuff, but you do. When you're a small timer like me, you think you're just throwing this stuff out into the void and no one's ever going to, yeah. you know, you have people that listen to it and it's kind of growing, you know, as it goes. But it does not cross your mind that the person you're talking about <laughs> will ever give a shit, will ever notice, will ever care to respond. And I deeply appreciate that you put on your armor and said, nope, we're riding to the defense <laughs> like you are ready you have i'm at, I, I have a feeling out of view of the camera you have a binder of <laughs> holy oh, shit yeah there's I, the file this, this actually this is the um abridged version of the case file that according to my law firm boston associates was the largest case file they ever had and this is a, was a long-standing law firm they had over six boxes full of documentation for this case. This case, there were, in fact, one therapist who, with his spouse, has a center 
uh, a psychology center in, I believe it's Santa Fe, where they treat people with PTSD and particularly therapist abuse. He said this was the worst thing he had ever heard of when I told it to him, which made me feel simultaneously a certain amount of relief that I felt as bad as I did, like a validation, but at the same time scared the living daylights out of me that somebody with 40 years of experience was telling me that this was the worst thing that he had heard and he had that much experience treating this kind of condition. So it was warped, it was bizarre. I was physically mutilated. Uh, I did not see that coming. I think it was even more frightening that because I was under a hypnotic suggestion, it made it was as if I was being complicit with something that I wasn't being complicit with. I could actually see myself from behind because it, it was as if I split away from myself in that moment. The trauma was so severe and not understanding fully what was happening to me, what had happened. I had to sort of piece it together after the fact. It was, it was just the most terrifying thing. And Guy was amazing because there was one evening, and I tell this in this in the um, the the essay that I was so felt so much shame of, by by being being so manipulated and, and and abused, coming from an abusive background that I I I felt like I wanted to die and I hated myself and I, I swung from the light and I hung like a monkey. That, that's how bad I was. And I, and he came in and, and he was, I was like, just go, just leave me. I'm a horse that can't run. I'm broken and ugly and ruined. And he was like, carried me to bed. He was like, you're beautiful. And um, he was very heroic, this man. Johnny Weissmiller. <laughs> baby, Jesus. I'm sorry, this baby is so loud. Don't be sorry. I'm, I feel bad because I feel like if, if I weren't talking, she'd be like moving around doing stuff with me. She can't uh, hear anything because we have headphones on, so she just because she loves people on video, but she can't hear you guys. So, because oh. we have oh. headphones. Oh, oh, she's sharing her private thoughts. <laughs> but um, let me think. Is, is there any more? You have an you have an event coming up, right? A Q and A for the movie, I and do. yes, I just wanted to be sure I covered some of the really important things. I think we covered. I don't want to even. I feel like the flow is good. Yes, actually. So we have our first ever double feature. So here's here's something really cool. I have to tell you guys, this has all been happening within a short period. You guys get this right, just the right time. Good. I have a conference called whereby I, I will not, I can't announce it yet, but I have been offered um, an advisory board position for, uh, for motion picture and business for a women's education program in film and business. Okay. So that's one. So um, that's that's something we'll be announcing soon. So I think part of the reason that happened was in July, this past July, we launched our first fully, solely woman-owned virtual and in-person Hollywood studio. This has not existed before. You've had things like Desilu, but of course that was owned by the, the couple. This is the first fully woman-owned virtual and in-person studio we screened my movie Night Rain, which is about a group of independent filmmakers who are unwittingly hired by their own stalker, stalker, in part inspired by real life, um, to make a low-budget movie about the real Elizabeth Short, better known as the Black Dahlia. And we had someone who knew her, who's 92 years old, Mary Passios, 
whose book, Childhood Shadows in Part Inspired Night Rain. We had Larry Harnish from the LA Times. We had a number of experts in the murder all come together. And this was the 29th of July. This was Elizabeth Short's birthday. So we just did this in July. And now we're gonna do another double feature screening in October on the 21st and the 28th. We're gonna do Night Rain the 21st, Scarabus the 28th, and we have Q&As both days. The first theme for Night Rain is women in our business and empowerment. And for Scarabus, we're gonna do behind the scenes and uh, advocacy, survivor advocacy. So we're gonna have a survivor advocate uh, who's a Huffington Post writer named Rachel Thompson one of on the panel. And we're going to be talking a lot about some of the things you guys brought up. Therapist violations, you know, things of this nature. So it's, I'm really excited about it. I'm going to watch Mary Poppins this week. Yeah, <laughs> probably can't do that. It's a great film. I love it. And it'll be a nice palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah, you can see his eyes. <laughs> and that's so uh, unusual. And that's in Los Angeles, or where is for people who? Well, it's it's going to be virtual, so oh. it's oh, it, right. it actually yeah, it takes place in Los Angeles. We already started selling tickets; they're already being sold and they're selling. Um, so people can buy a ticket for ninety dollars, a ticket for Scarabus for ten, or for the two, the double feature, it's twenty, which uh, kind of is like still kind of pandemic pricing because uh, usually those screenings are twenty a piece, um, and even without a Q and A, but. You know, a lot of people are still having issues economically in this time. So we figured, you know, let's uh, let's make it, you know, let's make it affordable for people. So it'll be happening virtually, um, and uh, and that's in October. So we're excited. I think you guys are great. I think you guys take you took a lot. If you had not invited me, that's the best part. It's good that you did that, Heath. That you said, well, I guess you probably wouldn't want to come, but you know because you opened the door. So I guess I should say, I appreciate that because you said that I was like, well, you know what? I think I will. I think I'll walk through that door. Thank Let's you. Let's have a conversation. Thank you yeah. for doing that. Well, I'd certainly want to give someone a, the chance to defend themselves or set me straight. The things that I, you know, had wrong or wasn't thinking the right way about. And it's, yeah, it's not the first time it's happened. I've had, um, well, I've had, just because I, this is my, to my listeners, I would say, always shoot your shot. Because the worst thing that can happen is they say no. I did a movie a couple weeks ago. I reached out to Jeffrey Reddick, the creator of the Final Destination movies, who, and he had written the movie that I was doing. And I said, I don't suppose you'd want to come talk about this movie. He's like, yeah, that's the favorite, my favorite one I've written. I'll come talk to you. So I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I'm nobody. That's fine. <laughs> and there was, and I also did a, we did an episode on a movie called Be My Cat, and the guy who directed that saw that we had put an episode out and was like, hey, thanks for watching my movie. And I said, I don't suppose you'd want to come talk. So always shoot your shot, you know? I so. agree. I agree. And you know what? Sometimes small is big. Because my seasons of Amused, you know, entertainment conglomerate compared to Warner's, compared to, you know, Universal and... Amazon or Netflix, you know, is very small, and yet we seem to do some really cool things, you know. Mm -hmm. So never underestimate, you know, the smaller person, the smaller guy, or the smaller woman. You know, like sometimes you can have a pretty big impact, and you're more likely to put yourself on a limb or be creative because what have you got to lose, right? That's true. 
So I think, good job. I mean, I'm glad we did this, you guys. I mean, it's been really fun. Really. It has. What, 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 do you have an, another movie that you're like looking at watching soon? Well, what happens is you're just picking out of a hat. At the end, at the end of each episode, because there's a there's an app called Real Good Roulette, and basically you put in which streaming services you have, and you push a button, and it literally picks from at random from everything Uh that's streaming. So I don't know what I'm going to get, but at the end of each episode, I push the button, and it tells me what my episode for next week is. So, so the Scarecrow is last week, and then I got. The Other Man, which I did as a crossover uh, with another with Fright Mike podcast where I did an episode of their show. They came out and did mine. And at the oh. end of that episode, which one did I get? I haven't oh, set I it up it. yet. Oh, uh, a movie called Nobody's Baby starring yes. Gary Oldman and Skeet Ulrich oh. that I have never heard of somehow, despite having a crazy <laughs> cast in it. So that's and next week. Names, interesting names. That's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. I'll have to tune in. Um, and you know, I have a I have a proposition because this okay. way we're not going to touch when it comes to the point where night rain's going out there. Maybe we'll do night rain. <laughs> and then we can talk after or something. That's cool. Well, I mean, that would require breaking the rules of my show to pick oh, a movie on purpose. Oh, <laughs> but oh, oh, God. you never know. There's always the chance it could come up randomly. So, or you could just do a special. I could just do a bonus. You could do too, a bonus sure. episode. Yeah, could do that. That'd be fun. If you own the casino. <laughs> but really, I mean, you know, you never know what to expect. And like I said, I have to walk in going, wait, you know, are these guys like part of this whole weird thing that's going on with the Tommy Wazo case, or I don't know what to think. You know, like walking in, I'm like, I don't know. But I thought I'm just going to keep an open mind because, hey, you know, everybody, that's what makes it beautiful. It's, it is subject. It's very You got to keep an open mind. <laughs> well, well, now. Yeah, there you go. You got to keep an open mind. Now, now the wheels in my head are turning, and I wonder if now. I have stepped into because I've had. <laughs> I'm not that worried about it. But now that I've had you on to talk about your movie in a positive light, am I going to have the people that were coming after you now coming after me? <laughs> ah! No, 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 no. Definitely not. As long as you don't say, like, as long as you don't say, like, I will now champion Gene Marie's because then they'll just leave you. In fact, they'll probably like you because they'll figure, oh, you didn't like it, so yeah, you give up. <laughs> I will say, though, there is something else coming up I didn't mention. This Saturday, uh, from from Facebook, um, the Doll Center of the Arts in California sponsors it. We do a, we do a virtual review of movies from the Criterion Collection. And this week, this Saturday, from 1 to 3 Pacific time, uh, Greg Sestero, of the room, author of The Disaster Artist, is joining us to review Vim Vendor's Wings of Desire, which in part inspired my next project, Making Angels, which includes Tommy and Greg, among others. So it should be really interesting. <laughs> well, those are some crossed. We've, yeah. Hmm. Wings of Desire. It's art. Yes. It can do anything. Wow. <laughs> Wild stuff. Well, yeah. You really stepped into it, Heath. Good job. <laughs> yes. Well, look, I mean, I'm, I, I have some integrity. I'm not going to back down. It's like you have not you have not changed my mind about my enjoyment or not of your film. 
but I definitely have an appreciation for you and how passionate you are and what you were trying to accomplish, what you're still trying to accomplish, yeah. advocacy and whatnot. That That's important stuff. Because like I said in the episode, that this stuff is real. Therapist abuse is real. This isn't some sci-fi movie you made. Like, there might be, you know, plot elements that were added in to be more exciting or whatever. But, you know, this stuff is real and it sucks and it's terrible and it ruins... <laughs> Speaking of ruining things, <laughs> ruins people, and uh, well, as you knew, as you we guys probably don't before. talk about it enough. So yeah. if if you making this movie and me picking fun at it on a stupid little podcast makes somebody go and actually think about and look up therapist abuse and see, you know, then I think we both did a pretty good job. Yes, <laughs> that's, what I, that's yeah. what I think too. That's awesome. what I think too. I think again, like we talked about, you just. You stand by your perception because it's your perception. It's not right. It's not wrong. I will say that you nailed it. it full, be, full metal bashing was meant, definitely meant to be uncomfortably humorous. And you were right on about that. It was supposed to be that. And there were other things that Carrie picked up on about the metaphysics that were intended. Um, which Oh, was, yeah, the, the supernatural. Oh yeah, that can get into the cracks of anybody when you you know when you suffer from uh, illness. What was the movie with Jimmy Stewart? Uh, it happens at Christmas. And oh, he me he mentioned it. It's a Wonderful Life. That's right. Oh, that's a good one. He was like, I feel like I'm gonna be that. I'm gonna oh. get punched, you know. And you J didn't get J Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, we're, we're, we're generally peaceful people. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Well, and plus you're also as someone who you know, was brave enough to make a movie and put it out. That's out there now. Yeah. It's for public consumption. So as much as you're hearing from people who are like, oh, I loved your movie and it was this and this, you know, oh, yeah. I'm not the first, I know I'm not the first person who's, who you've heard say, I did not like that. You know, and there were probably people, I hope there were people, I don't hope it for you, but I hope it for me. I hope that there were people that were way meaner than I was. <laughs> so, um, oh, there were people. There were people who one one person wrote as a review on Amazon. You are a weak person. Directed what? at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, were, there were people that tore our posters off of telephone. <laughs> That's terrible. It, it's had, we've had a very mm -hmm. extreme reaction to this movie from some people. There's a reason for the trigger warning. <laughs> There's a reason for the trigger warning. Well, it's I don't, been very. I don't make I don't make personal attacks like that. So no, it's to, but you know it's time to let it's time to I, you guys really have helped me actually because it's time to let go of the baby for a long time. I think I kind of felt like I had to cradle this therapist. Oh, I meant this, and oh, I don't like people saying you know bad things. What it's like, you know what? You got to let it be what it is. Right, but don't don't let go of the baby. <laughs> well, yes, right. Well, so it's it's like your your <laughs> your film's now in the adolescent stage because um, people can come up to me and tell me, "Hey, your sixteen year old was a jerk," and I'll be like, "Yep, he he's sixteen. He can be a jerk sometimes, you know, but he can also be great." So that's just the nature of adolescence. And you look young to have a sixteen year old. Oh, I have a twenty two year old. I'm forty six. I won't. I'm not ashamed yeah. to say it because I feel like I've taken good care of my skin. And you have you look you look like you could easily be in your 30s easily and I will say that with 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 the same proudness I will say that I'm a 52 year old grandmother of two excellent my my, 
My oldest granddaughter is almost your son's age. She turned 13 in July. Yeah, there's and no shame in growing old. He is doing very well for a 97. <laughs> and our other granddaughter is not is just over one years old. So. Oh, fun! You know, that's one thing that you know we Gen Xers. I have to say, we there was a lot of things we didn't get, but we got the youth gene or something. Mm -hmm. We got that that we we definitely got because both of you guys easily look like you could be like early thirties. Thank you. Fun. You know, and I I work with kids, and sometimes they will be surprised at like that I have adult kids. You know, because it's a small community, but they they'll say, "But you don't look old enough," and I'm like, "Well, it's because I don't smoke." And they're like, oh. "And I think I'm I'm like okay, crossing my fingers. These kids are getting it in their head. You know, it might be cool to smoke now after school, but you know, when I'm 40, I'll be glad I didn't." Oh, See, yes. And I do smoke, which is why I look like Skeletor got hit by a truck. <laughs> you so. do not. You have excellent genetics. So. You have. You you actually look. You guys both look young. Thank in my you. Opinion. You look. You could easily be. You could easily be like millennials, but well, and actually I'm, kind of savage or not. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, and I and I and I try to not be ashamed of being the age I am, and I mean I have a kid, so another kid, <laughs> so. Yeah. But, you know, I just think that we kind of worship youth a little too much, you know, and yeah. us 40-somethings, oh, yeah. we have a lot to offer the world. We're oh, not, yeah. We're not ready to be put to pasture. Oh, I, I, I get that sometimes. It's like, so, so you're going to, are you going to stop acting and just do more behind the scenes now? And I'm like, no. why would I do that? Why? Because what? I have do I have an expiration date? I guess? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I've always thought that is the weirdest thing when, when that comes out. Yeah, especially sorry to say, guys, you know, I'm gonna have to, you know, feminist hiss or whatever they call it that in Chicago when you do spoken word. I made my living as a spoken word artist for eight years before I started YouTube film, although I had my hands in it. Um, and I knew the guys, from, you know, uh, Chris Smith and, and Mark Borchardt and those guys, I've been around film a long time. Sarah Price is an amazing editor, speaking of like amazing talented people. But, um, you know, it's like, it's interesting. You do kind of have to just say, you know, that stuff about the aging or whatever, that stuff doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't. It doesn't, it, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, tell Dame Judy Dench she has to get behind the camera. Good luck with that. Oh, she'll knock you the I'm fuck so out. I'm so glad you brought <laughs> I was going to ask you who some of your favorite actors are and who your favorite movies are because I love Judy Dench. I think she's exceptional. She's one of the, you know, even when you put her like Kate Blanchett's great, but when you put Judy Dench next to get, like you guys saw Notebook on a Notebook, Notebook on a Scandal. Did you see that one? Nope. It's called Not Notebooks yet. on a Scandal. Oh, oh, you guys got to see this movie. Oh, and it's good as. Kate Blanchett is, I mean, Judy Dench is just like, she comes in and it's just like, what a force of nature that woman is. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. If I could get this much of Judy Dench, I'd be happy. She's incredible. Well, this is going to be kind of all over the place, but that's fine. Because I thought we were winding down a couple times now, but it keeps going and that's cool, too. When we were talking about physical appearance, I did have a question uh, oh, yeah. about the movie, plot-wise. As you saw it when you were making the movie, is your character dressing up for Ilsa in a... Has it been put in... How do I want to say this? Has it been put into her head by Ilsa to dress up for her? Or to dress more sexy? Or is she doing that herself? And why? 
It's a good question. And and I know that there was a point where she talked about things like magic mirror. I remember you talking about magic mirror. That was, a, and you're wearing makeup and this sort of thing. That is that is an unfortunate element that I think in the in the outfit and cut, it's implied, but it's not. Again, it's it's it kind of makes it confusing when it's not more direct. The implication is she's, she is that she's wearing makeup and hiding her appearance, but then she turns for the blouse that she's wearing, and you know she's feeling her self esteem. And of course, it's a backhanded you know move on Ilse's part in a sense because. At the same time that she's sort of, you're wearing makeup. This is, oh, but look at that top you're wearing. It's sort of like, I lift you up so I can drop you down even harder. You know, and I think that, I think that she was thinking that she was feeling more confident. That was her idea of feeling more confident about herself. But it did not, it did not end up going in her favor. I think people we'll see well, how good of an editor i've become if i can yeah that was, make this well, listenable that was good, at all <laughs> no i i enjoyed it and, and and thank you again for you know it's funny and that was something else somebody said at one point one of our composers said boy if there's one thing i can say about the therapist it does not look like it was shot at the budget it was shot at can you guess the i want can you guess the budget Keith? do you want to just throw it a number <clears> out there and just see if uh, i can't really say what it is but i can tell you if it's warm or not I've been surprised before because we had a filmmaker on who, according to IMDb, it said the budget was five or five thousand dollars, and I asked him about it, and he said, "No, that's because five thousand dollars is the least you can put on IMDb as the budget, and it was actually two thousand. So, oh wow, um, I'm going to guess three hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's that's actually interesting. So, thank you. That's that's actually a compliment. Okay. Because uh, because it wasn't not even close. And so and and that that actually ends up being a compliment because I know people who made movies for like one point two million that didn't have the production value, and and um and and in fact I think you actually rated one of them. I know the filmmakers from um the um the Nightmare Gallery was one of the ones that had a much higher budget. And they did actually. They did do some really good camera work, um, I thought. But there were other things. I sat and watched it, and I had mixed feelings about it. Let's say, you know. But I think, I think, I think they did some good things. I think they did some good things, and then there were some things I wasn't necessarily crazy about. And again, I think it, you know, it's perception for people because some people were like, "Wow, wow, look at what they did for that." And I'm like, "Wow, with 1.2 million or whatever, I could." Wow, <laughs> like I could do this, this, this. So it really depends on the filmmaker. It's interesting though, but thank you for that because that and that and because yeah, because that's no, it was not not that. It was yeah. <laughs> we did a lot. Guessing or you're gonna tell me? Our composers got like less than other people. Because <laughs> God, well, it never worked. I guess I know you. <laughs> it's different. Let me go on. Nepotism. 
Although I really, I like guys. Um, I like his, I like the stuff that he did with uh, the PTSD. That's where she's walking through the, the, um, the tunnel. And then she ends up, Sweeney picks her up. Uh, that was his piece. And he did some really interesting percussive work. I won't give away your secrets. I won't. Well, I made a bunch of, I made a bunch of songs before the movie was shot. Um, just going on what I read. And P the PTSD thing was one of those things. And our editor, he had very little to work with to start. And he took the PTSD thing that I made and he aligned it with this scene where you're stumbling through the tunnel. And that stayed all the way through the movie. So well, because it worked. I thought. It worked. So it was he, eerie. He saw something and he heard something what I did in relation to what he saw, and he stuck it together, and it stayed that way. Are you going to tell Heath cool. some, what some of your percussive tools were for that, or you don't want to give away your secrets? Uh, sure. You take the uh, rack out of an oven, and you use a spoon or a knife, and you scrape it. Shh. I can see that. That's some good uh, <laughs> fo foley technique. Scrape, you hit, you touch. All I see is touch it. It's like a triangle. Bing. Very effective. Well, and locations-wise, for the budget that we had, normally you would do probably two or three actors in one or two locations. We had some really great locations. Another significant thing about the Scarapist was, if it were not for the Scarapist, we shot it in in Wisconsin. It was actually it was actually technically made in Los Angeles because it was developed here and then it was shot there and brought back here for post. Sure. Um, but um, my father. Uh, passed away from Alzheimer's in uh, the like November 1st of 2012 and we finished production like about maybe two weeks before that and he got to know that I had completed it you know before he went elsewhere so to speak and um, it meant a lot to me I would not have had that time with him if I hadn't been there shooting it so it's funny how you have to remember, too, that when somebody's like, you're watching a movie and you see something, and when I see it, I'm going to see something different. I'm going to remember the experience of doing it. I'm going to know what was involved with it. It's, it's my first feature that I ever made, you know, and I did not attend film school. I'm, I've, I have a, a certification in film studies, and I've worked in the art field a long time, but it was my first real experience doing Beyond a Short, and I learned a lot. I definitely learned a lot in that process. One of the most challenging things I learned was be careful of people who want to take over your vision, let's say. You know, they have, they, they start out where they want to do a project with you and it can quickly become, now it's mine kind of thing. Especially, you wouldn't think that would happen as much as in, in the indie world because it technically isn't supposed to. That's more of a studio thing. You know, this is what you're going to do, and this is how you're going to do it. Mm. But, mm -hmm. but in, but it's funny how egos can play in. You know, I think I'm growing in confidence in my vision and in my ability, and I think that each, you know, I'm not making. I, I mean, I love this carapace. Obviously, like we talked about, some people are going to love it, some people are going to hate it. There, I love the way it holds my attention, and of course, it's going to have a different meaning for me. But I think the important thing is, can you keep growing? You know, and can you keep creating? So yeah, if you can do that, that that's a good thing. Would you agree? I would agree that we are uh, 
transmitting things tonight. <laughs> Thank God for the Zooming internet, because otherwise it would be snail mail. <laughs> I'd be waiting months and months just yeah. for you to answer one question. That your joke with the moccasin I... would take weeks just for that. Oh my goodness. You know, there is there is a very funny review on Amazon that was actually by some guys who worked on the television show Teachers with Katie. It was five stars. You know, get this is the new get your friends together, do a lot of drugs and watch this movie. And and it says like <laughs> stuff like Jean Marie's because it has to be legally insane that she has all this space of time. It's not that the acting's bad, but there's so much space in between the responses of the people, you know, and things like this. And, it was kind of funny, but like they were like, it's a train wreck. And I'm like, really? I was like, I didn't think of it as a, my editor was like, you know, all like, it is not. <laughs> but see, it just goes to show you, like, it's just interesting. It definitely provokes a response. There's no doubt about it that it provokes Well, Night Rain, I mean. Well, Night Rain's different. Night Rain kind of puts to use that whole thing you just said, right at the top of the movie. I don't say. I'm not giving anything away. I'm just saying. Has not been released yet. Boom. It just, there's a, it's uncomfortable from the very get go. Well, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine myself not checking that out now. So. (laughs) (laughs) There is a trailer. You, you and Carrie can check it out after Florence goes to sleep. There is a trailer uh, that's on YouTube. And it was a um, it was a finalist. That's actually as far as you could go in the trailer film festival in American Trailer Market. They only have finalists, and the finalists are linked potentially with sales agents. That's how we came to our sales agent for Night Rain. But we're we've had some offers which I have not taken because I'm I think um, I've talked with Greg about this. He's going through this with Miracle Valley, where it's like just. Everything is so volatile right now with arts and entertainment that you sort of want to do these special screenings for right now. Streaming is really tricky right now. And there's so much out there. And um, it's easy to pirate, you know. I remember when I contacted an attorney about Scarapus getting pirated, and he said, congratulations. And I was like, huh? And he said, well, not all movies get pirated. You must have done something right that this movie got pirated because somebody wants to see it. And I was like, okay, I didn't think about it that way because I'm my money, movie's getting stolen and I'm not making money from it, but thank you anyway. So he does like a lot of piracy stuff for Warner Brothers and uh, other studios. And I hadn't thought about it that way, but I guess he's right. Uh, congratulations. If somebody wants to see your movie enough that they bothered to pirate it. But yeah, it's difficult. It's, it's a challenge out there right now. And you may have heard this or not, I don't know, but the entertainment industry in the last year, since the pandemic, year and a half, has lost over $1.2 billion in revenue from theaters being closed and stuff like that. Well, I manage a movie theater, so oh, I, I'm, not, I'm not do? unaware. <laughs> I do. Wait, wait where, what, what oh. movie theater do you manage, Heath? I am a manager. Well, I'm not the manager, but I'm a manager at, a, there's a sevenplex here in the mall that I am one of the managers oh. of. Okay, and gotcha. we don't we don't get to pick what movies we get and stuff. That's way further up the oh, yeah. corporate I chain. Well, but they're not like Alamo Draft House, those little indie chains get a little more say, but the, yeah. the but multiplexes, you guys, the studios have a lot of a lot to say about what goes in there and how much they pay to get it on the marquee. Well, and, so, and our booking guy, you know, it's all about I mean, it's a very white town. It's a very because it's kind of a resort town, so it's lots of older people very white 
So we, yeah. I don't know. We just, we've never, we've never had a documentary ever, ever. Oh, Chances yeah. are, unless it's Kevin Hart, if the poster's full of black people, we're not going to get it. So you must, so I get the impression that you are, you like the, you are a fan of Tommy Wiseau in the room, I take it. Um, no, I'm, I'm not someone who believes in the idea that something can be so bad that it's good. I think for me, bad is just bad. <laughs> like there's very okay. few movies that I look at and go, it's so terrible that it's fun to watch. So I want to watch it 20 more times. Like, no, there's, there's 800 movies good movies that I haven't seen yet that I would rather watch instead of watching something that's bad on purpose, you know? So what are some of your favorite movies that come to mind? I'm just curious to get inside your head to know what your aesthetic is or what you like in film. Let's see. My, I think my favorite movie the last couple years was Little Women. Oh, interesting. What else? Let's see. In the last couple years, I really loved uh, the movie Spring. It's a uh, Benson Moorhead's second movie. I mean, my favorite movie of all... <laughs> this is maybe embarrassing, I don't know. My favorite movie of all time is The Crow, just because it, it that movie oh. came along at the exact right moment in my life to make a huge impact. So, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Brandon Lee. Yes, mm-hmm. my oldest son is named Brandon. So <laughs> you know what? <laughs> That's you know what? My editor, my editor works with one of the people who worked on that production a woman who was on the production because she was uh, one of the people on the um, prop side and production design side. You know, that's funny because I had just joined the Milan Femmes. I I had just joined the two of these guys and they had already recorded a song for The Crow. Mm -hmm. The two of them plus the original drummer. Oh, weird. How? And the funny thing is they sent me a platinum a record award with my name on it because you were in the band because they thought that i was a part of that recording so you have that is what you're saying no i tore it apart and i put this little obscure uh, record that i made in it instead i do remember that now and eventually i threw it in the trash because it was just a lie it was hanging on your kitchen wall yeah i remember that but that's also that it's crazy. It's it a funny story as much as it breaks my heart to hear what you just yeah, did. Yeah. I, I've never had a gold record. Never. Uh, Nothing I ever do stays. Well, you're pretty Nothing indie. ever stays. This you guy's a character. I see why you're married to this guy. Oh, he's totally a character. I said to him one time, he was sitting on the floor of our condominium that we used to have, and he's cleaning one of his cymbals and, you know, tightening and tuning one of his drums, snare drums. And I said, you know, guy, I just realized how much time you you've actually spent playing punk rock music your life and he said that's true and then he said i hate punk rock punk <laughs> rock sucks and i said that is so punk rock and he said that's true that's oh well true. so yes he has these crazy stories about stages breaking at red rocks and building up on like little i don't know beer barrels at sundance for SSC oh those two guys they, those two guys like to smoke cigars so they would get gigs at at uh, cigar uh, humidors. <laughs> People who own these fancy uh, well, uh, suburban humidors, they they would go to do these gigs just so they could get free cigars. Well, they could do that. They own. And the I don't food. smoke cigars. No, I what am I doing here? I don't, I don't know. It's just it's inter- What I find so interesting is that the world is so small after all. I mean, you mentioned the crow. 
And that's that actually, I'll tell you something, that movie, that film had a big impact on a lot of people. I remember that film coming out, you know, and it had the whole goth, you know, it was coming off the heels of films like Blade Runner and stuff, which Blade Runner was a big deal. You know, when I was, I was still really young when that movie came out. But The Croak came out when I was like in my early 20s and around just out of college. And it had a very big impact on me. I remember the song, Color Me Once. Color Me mm -hmm. Once. We, we often performed that on stage. Very, It was very gravitous. It really like, you know, the, the young kids we played for, very young. I mean, they're college kids, but they're really still in high school. Um, when we would play that song, it wasn't every night. But it was very gravitous. It would just really just make, it would just bring everything down to a very light. You know, when you're, when a blizzard hits, there's no crime. No one's hurting one another. The snow, the blizzard, the cold really like brings things down to one level quickly. And that song just tended to do that on stage huh. with young kids and older kids. It was very, very a good song, I would say that, yeah. That whole album was good. At the end of the day, it's I guess it really is if it's had any kind of impact on you at all, you know, it's like and it's interesting that of all, all the movies that could have come through your roulette, you know, because this is actually its second life, like Harry was saying, it's adolescence because it literally came out two thousand and fifteen to, to very very limited release to theater. I shouldn't say very limited, I mean it was like kind of like average limited release. Uh, in landmark theaters, and then um, it went to video on demand the following year, and it just—it's just kind of has this strange life. It keeps coming back. It keeps making itself, you know. And it's not just because it's like people coming to me and being like, "Oh, we want to distribute this," or "Oh, we want to have this in our festival." And I'm like, "Okay, it's six years old. You know, I've already finished another film, and I'm working on another film. And but you know, I guess that's." It's kind of what Kim Dixon said, I guess. She said it's a cult film. She called it a cult film. And cult films don't seem to want to die. <laughs> they keep coming back. Well, when they make a documentary about you as a cult filmmaker, then you're in trouble. I, I hope, I don't necessarily no want that. No one talks about Ed Wood too much anymore. I, in a way, in a way, I... In a way, I must say you're that okay. I am. You're in a good place. I am kind of glad I didn't make a Blair. You know, well, I shouldn't say I, I can't define it this way, but I was watching Wings of Desire for our podcast, and in a way, like when you knock it out of a park on your first one, it actually can be really hard to make your next one and your next one because everybody's kind of judging it on that basis. So while knocking it out of the park on the first one can be really cool, it also can mean years before you do another one that people really that was with something you know sure. it's just it's really not easy to be an artist in the world is it because you know you're going to be scrutinized and your right. people are going to have an impression of you you know, it's funny he's because you understand the difference between the art and the artist but clearly people writing stuff you are a weak person because you were manipulated by this person and it's like do i know you you know, it's like, it's like some people don't know how to separate the art and the artist kind of thing. I mean, I have to say, I don't know that I like Woody Allen based on what you hear from mm -hmm. Mia Farrow. I don't even like Woody Harrell. But I'll tell you, I'm one person who I, I'm very sympathetic, obviously, to survivors. And I consider myself a feminist. And yet I will go see a Woody Allen movie uh, because I say, okay, but I like his films. I'm not saying I like him or I condone his behavior or whatever. Oh, match point. 
Match point. I'm, Whoa, that's a good question. No, that was what, you know, that actually got, that got, that got huge applause. At, I think it was Venice International, wow. or Biennale. That, and that was one mm. he wasn't in, ironically. So maybe there's something to that. But you know, it's like, I was talking about this on my own podcast. It's like, you look at my best friend's birthday, the first Tarantino film. Most people are not going to say that's a masterpiece. People go, oh, wow, Reservoir Dogs. You know, right. wow. You know, but my best friend's birthday and some of early Kubrick stuff, which, you know, again, because they do works that people now talk about. They're not saying, but look what this person did, whatever. And again, I see, I, I don't like that because I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses for my work. I still stand by, you know, what I feel about it, which is I enjoy watching it and things like that. I see, maybe I'm just seeing different things too. It's different perspectives, but I'm kind, I, I do remember one person saying to me, you know, this is a good film. It's not your masterpiece though. And I was like, okay, that, you know, maybe there's something to that. And that's it's like the it. guy who first stepped on the moon. What did he say? This is a small step for a man, a, a big step for mankind. He's, I think he said, I, I hate punk rock. Punk rock sucks. <laughs> so, you know, I don't want to hold you up. He, I know it's later there. You guys are two hour. You're, are you two hour or three fine. hour? You're a two hour. It is nine o'clock here now. So. No, I should, we should probably let you go so you can. But it's been, I really, I'm so glad we did this. I'm so glad you invited me. I wouldn't have otherwise <laughs> done it. And you really kind of put it in a perspective, you know. It's also helped me realize that not everybody is a stalker. <laughs> Some people just have a feeling that they feel and they don't, mm -hmm. they don't mean anything by it. It's an odd mix of things that are going on right now, as you probably noticed. So. Do, you go, do you go fishing? Do you fish? I don't. That's certainly a big thing around uh -huh. here. I'm not, I'm more of an indoor kid. <laughs> I had my fill of fishing growing up when I was a kid. and Because I don't eat fish, I don't like it, so I'm not going to. Catch and kill yeah. something what I don't want to eat. What's so. the biggest fish you ever caught? I honestly have never caught a fish in my life. I went fishing seven or eight times when I was a kid. I've never caught a fish. Oh, no matter I, how I long saying. I sat there. But then people oh, I was oh, with oh, would come up with a net and just go whoop, and catch a fish. And I'd be like, fuck <laughs> you guys, man. I'm going home. Are you are you in a more conservative community too? Is it more conservative? Where you are, is it mixed? Or? Um, I mean, it's not like the deep south or something, but it's yeah like i said it's it's mostly you know because it's sort of a resort town that it, there's people that live here but then the real influx is in the summer people coming here to the oh, lake house yeah. you know to gotcha. escape winter or you know or that leave in the winter and go back to wherever they're from um but it's a lot of you know old the older set you know who yeah typically are more conservative sure but it's not you know nah, i mean it's not yeah like i said we're not in Georgia, where they're, you know, whatever. But, <laughs> you know. Because well, I think the some communities Wisconsin are kind of like that, too. Like, the cities, like Madison, Milwaukee, tend to be more liberal. But then when you go outside the city in Wisconsin, it can get more and more, like, conservative and stuff in the smaller towns or, or smaller cities and stuff. So I wondered if it's kind of like that um, in Minnesota. What we're really asking is, do you ever see 80-year-olds <laughs> going snow skiing? I haven't, but I wouldn't be shocked. If it happens, <laughs> so, did you did you grow up in Minneapolis? Is that how you ended up where you are? No, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, oh. and then I moved to Fargo, North Dakota, when I was twelve, and lived there until how long have I lived? Six years. Um, 
whenever I then I moved in with her, um, and it's like an hour from Fargo, so. Kansas City, Fargo, to East Minnesota. And I was born in Sacramento, so I've been a little of everywhere. Oh my! Oh, you came a long way. You're a California wow. kid, and how? When? What age were you when you left Sacramento? Like two. So I don't really, oh, so I don't really remember it at all. Because most people, like when they've gone a certain to a certain point in California, they always seem to want to come back. But since you were so young, like. Mm, you, that true. California, yes, you weren't here long enough to have that burned in you. That sort of there, there's kind of a provincial thing in. I mean, I'm we're from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but I see kind of this provincial kind of thing sometimes in California, where it's like, what else is there but California? And right. I'm like, really? I'm like, okay, well, you know, there's a whole there's a whole country, but okay. Yeah, both the coasts uh, kind of have that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Someone, I remember I was in Santa Cruz. My sister went to the UC Santa Cruz. And um, I was visiting her. And this guy was like, oh, you know, where are you from? Uh, I think, are you from where Mary's from? And I said, yeah, Wisconsin. He says, you know, he's, he was like, oh, Indiana. And I said, no, it's a separate state. Indiana's a state. Wisconsin's a state. It's not a city. Wisconsin's not a city in Indiana. You know, I'm trying to explain to him. And he said, well, I've, I've been there. It's all the same. And I said, when were you there? And he was like, when I drove from California to New York on the 80. And I'm like, yeah, that's not being in the Midwest. That's driving past it. And if you think all the states in the Midwest are the same, uh, okay, I get a sense of where we're going, where we're, where we're at with this then. And it's, it is interesting. Or I've also had people say to me, I've also had people say to me, oh, uh, you're from the East Coast. You know, you're wearing black. You're from the East Coast. And I'll say, well, no, it's I'm from Milwaukee, closer to Chicago. And they're like, yeah, East Coast. And I'm like, so basically anything that's like east of the Colorado River is like the East Coast. East of the Mississippi. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's no, just no east of Colorado River is like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, East Coast. I'm like, Chicago. And they're like, yeah, East Coast. And I'm like, oh, dear, 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 my, my, my. So, yeah, it's funny. They like uh, one friend of mine in Wisconsin was like, "They're hicks. They don't know anything outside California." Yeah. So it's just it's the whole thing. It's just funny. It's just it's just it, all that stuff. The the geography and everything. It's fun to play with it. But I think generally you kind of get a sense of Midwestern people, and I think people in the Midwest too. I think they do tend to want to just say it like it is. You know, and you you have this harsh environment always like assailing you. You know, so it's kind of like one guy just posted on Letterboxd where you rated it. He said, uh, "Okay, guys, be scared because this is a Neil Breen movie." And I was like, "A Neil Breen movie?" <laughs> and I'll be honest. I mean, I haven't really seen Neil Breen, so I'm like, I don't know that I relate to that. But I just was kind of. I mean, now it's almost like people just being funny. You know, and just saying funny things, which you kind of got to go, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and that's that. That's always been my goal with the show: is to just just have fun. You know, some movies I'm gonna like, some movies I'm not. You know, and it's actually the movies I like make less interesting and less funny episodes because it's harder to make jokes about something you like. You know, it's so easy to pick things apart. It's so easy to make fun of things. You know, so. Oh yeah. But it's never. You you know, it's never personal. 
Yeah. Do you remember the movie Fright Night with Roddy McDowell? Yes. It came out like that. Do you remember that movie? I, 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 like, I actually love that addition to like the vampire lore, Chris Saran and all that. So I'm watching this recently, and there's a point where the Charlie characters try to convince the Roddy McDowell character, Peter Vincent, try to convince him that he really has a vampire living next door to him. Peter Vincent's like, I'm out of here. And he closes his door on his car, which I think is like a Jaguar or something. He closes the door, and right there in the reflection is the boom pole and the mic. You can see it like blatant, right? Like you could pick apart anything. That's why I had to ask, did you go in with a preconceived idea? Because I can tell some people are like, I'm going to watch this because this is just garbage. And then they've already got that idea in their head. So I kind of think it's cool that you guys went in with the, I don't really know about this movie. I'm not going to look into what this movie's about. I'm just going to watch it, you know. It does also give me kind of an interesting, it makes me wonder if some of the people who like it, like it more because they know me. Although there are people I don't know who like it. But, you know, I'm starting to wonder, like, as the filmmaker, it's like, well, maybe it's not conveying what I think it's conveying. Although I got to say, you guys picked up on some stuff where it was like, no, it can't really be that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. You got it. You got it. So it's just interesting how, yeah, it's just, it's just. It is interesting. I, you've given me a lesson too, for sure. I think I need to just let it go and just let people have whatever experience they have and not be too worried about it. Because, like you said, it's not personal. That's my policy. I mean, that's very punk rock. Punk what? Punk rock. <laughs> You're supposed to say I punk rock. Sucks. I mean, it's your it's it's your child. You made it. You you crafted it. You loved it, and you put it out there in the world, and now you can help it along and you can you know but if people are mean to it or nice to it it's kind of out of your hands now you know so yeah yeah. it really is and more so now than when it first came was coming through ironically and maybe that's because it's ready to just it's ready to let go you have to you can't you can't tell people what they're supposed to think or feel or you can you can but as you've seen like you can lead a horse to water. It's like one of those things where you've probably seen it too. You know, studios pump tons of publicity into a movie, like let's say Will Will Smith iRobot, and they're obviously directing it towards the iRobot fans. And the fans just didn't they didn't grab it. They didn't gravitate to it. It didn't it didn't work for them, you know? And there's you can you can pump millions of dollars into publicizing how wonderful it is. You can pay off you guys would be amazed at the stuff that goes on. Back in the days, my publicist was telling me about this. She would go for Big Eyes. Do you remember the movie Big Eyes with Amy Adams? Mm-hmm. The last Weinstein pictures to come out. So they did a whole publicity run at Con for that. One of my publicists went to it. So they get a whole weekend. They go to a resort. Everything's paid for. Weinstein, he spends over a million dollars whining and dining these people. Well, of course, then after that's over, they're going to feel bad saying something bad about it, right? I mean, that, and that's the point. But it's funny because no matter what these people are going to say, there are going to be people in the audience who are going to go, I don't care how much you tell me this is great. I just don't happen to think it's great. You know, it's just, and there are going to be some people who may be swayed by it, but it's just, it's a, it's a strange beast, this, and when you're an independent, you're just out there, you're just throwing yourselves to the wolves, because you don't have all that money to pay for 
clicks and that's why like people being like oh she's paying for this stuff i'm like i don't know how much money they think i have but when you have to pay for like you have to pay for things like that that's not cheap and you have to do it the right way because like there are organizations like you know a24 and stuff you know they can afford to do that kind of stuff but indie people don't have that so no we're like there's just we, no way we have, we're like we have equipped with rubber bands to shoot it <laughs> barely that i mean and it well. barely penetrates the screen we're looking at you go, that's what we can do but i i have to say again i'm really i mean this has been good for me really i'm i really appreciate you guys and your openness to talk with me and guy here because really our whole attitude was like let's just go in and see what happens like let's you know i had my notes and whatnot but i just thought you know like some of the things you guys talked about but it was like it's it's been good for me i think i'm ready to let go and let the and let the child move on to adulthood now you know florence because what else can you do oh don't say florence she's four months i don't want to think about it it goes so fast now is florence your first teeth is she your first oh no i have we have so many kids. <laughs> I have 18-year-old wow. twins and a 15-year-old from a previous marriage. And then she has a 22-year-old, 20-year-old, 19-year-old, wow. and adopted 16-year-old. And now Florence. Wow. So so her next, wow. her next closest sibling is 15 years older than her. So she's kind of almost like an only child again. <laughs> like, but, yeah. Because they're all I kind of like off. That in the world but you guys are a big family you guys are a big family well it you know it it's commendable what you're doing because i was looking at your stuff and i was like oh my god he's getting some really cool guests on here because i was looking back through some of the episodes there was somebody else i saw who i think must have come on your show at one point another male maybe director i'm trying to think of who well, it was we had we had Brooks Benjamin on who made a yeah. movie called Point of Fear that was a super cheap. He's like a children's book author now and he made it way back. So he probably doesn't even think about it anymore. It's this movie he made when he was young, you know. But yeah, I reached out to him and I was like, hey, we're about to talk about your movie. And we, I don't know, would you want to come on and talk about it? And he came on and we made fun of the movie to his face and he was a super good sport about it. And we had a lot of fun <laughs> with it. Because so. for him it was probably at the stage that maybe you like you were talking saying you know let the child go over that you maybe aren't at yeah. yet where he made it so long ago and has moved on to other things he's like i don't care what people say about it like i know <laughs> you know he was aware of its flaws and he knew that it was super cheap and whatever else so we had fun with that and then what i did have yeah i had the again like i said shoot your shot the there's a documentary called the reason i jump about uh nonverbal autistics uh and i've had a special relationship with um autistic films and autistic guests previously so i reached out to the director of of that documentary it's the only documentary i've ever done on the show um to see if he wanted to come on with me and some autistic guests to talk about the movie and how much it moved them and helped them and whatnot and so that was really special yeah that's cool but well, yeah, congratulations! I think, I think it's really cool what you're doing, and I'm glad that we were able to do this because it was it was really great talking with you and Carrie. It was cool to meet Florence. 
who has quite a great set of pipes, I have to she say. Does. And I think she looks a bit like you, actually, when I see her. I think she has a certain resemblance to you. She looks uh, like the Gerber baby, so I don't know where she got it from. But <laughs> she's too, too cute for us. I'm, I'm getting hungry all of a sudden. Are you getting, is that what you're yeah, kind of hoping? My stomach is, is growling. Well, make a pizza. Make a, it's late. <laughs> Get a, make a pizza. All right, I'll, I'll go. I'll go make it from scratch. I'll be late. I, I'm so, I, I think I was getting ready though, Heath, because you know, my attitude was like, I'm not here to prove something or to, to convince them that they're wrong. You know, I think some people might have that mentality like, oh, you know, and I was so glad that that was not my attitude. It was like, no, no, this, it's subjective. And, you know, that you, someone else said something to me they said well do you want just all positive reviews and i thought you're right that's a good point you know because i'm not so sure that is what an artist really wants is everybody to go it's wonderful it's wonderful it's wonderful you know mm-hmm. um I, I was on a site today i was looking at a real estate agent uh, it's part of a, the, the job i do and they got like all these great ratings by their clients but then they actually allowed a post to go on and said, this guy was rude and nasty. I give him one lousy point. But they kept it on their official site. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta appreciate you think, that. You yeah. gotta be honest. Oh, yeah. You gotta let people uh, be who they are. Otherwise, people... Oh, they get mad. Otherwise, you're gonna, they're gonna go, oh, this ain't real. Right, right. Well, these guys were thinking there's no way that these, That's you right. know, these... The guy, actually, by the way, the guy who you mentioned, the Alfred Hitchcock thing, the guy who wrote that attended our theatrical screening in Milwaukee. He, I, I, I know who he is now because he attended the screening. He's a photographer. And he just fell in love with this movie and just was like, oh, it was, so, oh, the squirrel. Like he brought up, he kept saying, oh, the squirrel was genius. You put the squirrel in there. Oh, I love the squirrel. You know, and it was like, okay, I'm glad you really appreciate that. That's that's really cool. Like other people said, why did you put that? Yeah, in there? other people were like, what the heck is that they in there? Were, they got offended because we left like four seconds of a squirrel <laughs> chomping on a nut sitting on a garbage can. I wanted it to be reflective of you know was it? the the the, the ambivalence, <laughs> you know, the ambivalence <laughs> of a suburb, you know, or whatever. But you know, yeah, no, I mean, it's just, it, is, it, it just goes to show you, though, that how can you say it's right or wrong, good or bad, when you base, I mean, you can, but at the end of the day, I think, I think what's interesting is that I've hardcore seen some people who are literally not open to the possibility that it could be good or bad, that it has to be one or the other. And my response to that is, but it's, it's creative, it's art, it's subjective. So, yeah, I, I totally what I think I'm communicating and what communicates to one person, it's entirely possible that you're looking at this going, what the heck is this? I don't know. Like, I just have to say though, that boy, you guys nailed a lot of stuff though. And then you were like, no, it couldn't be. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. So actually that just goes to show you that your intuition is probably often right. Your first, your first, uh, your first thought might very well be right. And it just gets to the point where it's confusing and complex and like, is this right? Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely correct. You got it. Well, here's how I think I will finish this. I will say whether good or bad, your movie is special, I think. (laughs) Whichever, whether people enjoy it or not. And also 
everyone has their opinions. All, all you can do is tell your truth. We, we told ours talking about the movie. You told yours making the movie and here today as well. And be kind as, as a bonus to, you know, you don't need to, you can not like a movie. You don't have to be mean to people about it. So I, I'd like to think that I live up to that most of the time, hopefully. So thank you very much for being here. Um, thank your uh, husband as well, who has wandered off to make a pizza. And um, <laughs> we will... Uh, thank Carrie too, and Florence, who contributed a lot. <laughs> a little to too much. It's going to be real fun to edit. She had a lot um, to say. She had a lot to say. She did. Mm-hmm. But we will... Uh, mm-hmm. So that's... Who re- knows? Everybody if go... Night- if either we make a special episode or who knows, if it comes up on the roulette wheel, you never know. You There's going to be more, though, with making angels coming and others coming. If all goes well, um, hopefully, uh, more that I will create will come up and it'll just open new doors. And like I said, I just think you guys are great. I think you've you've helped me to see things, too, that I would not have otherwise understood. And it's been very, it's been good for me. It's a, it's a, it's been a maturing experience for me, I think, as an artist to do this. So I'm very grateful for it. And I'm just really glad that you invited me to do it. I probably wouldn't have reached out otherwise, but the fact that you said, I don't know that she talked to me, I thought, why not? You know, I just thought, why not reach out and see what happens? So. Well, and yeah, thank I'm... you for not coming in coming in hot. <laughs> you could have come in here, the both of you, like, listen here, you son of a bitch. But <laughs> that wouldn't get you anywhere because then I'm just not even going to put the episode out. So that would have been That's a short it. conversation. So this was that much better. Yeah. Well, plus it's like, like you said, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, when you realize that people are, have a right to their perspectives, attitudes, you know, perceptions and and uh, whether you agree or not, like you were saying too, I mean, you can be kind and you can still appreciate certain things and, and look at what's happened. It's, it's brought things to light. Some of the things we talked about today in all these years, I've never even mentioned that you guys brought up, you know? So it's, it's good. I think it's good. And it's good to connect with the people who are seeing your work, you know? Cause like I said, in my, in my, on my Twitter posts, it's like, I'm just, I'm really grateful that you guys actually watched it, took the time. You obviously put thought into it, you know, appreciate it. I mean, to me, I, I would think that for any artist, that's a, that's a success. That's a, no matter, you can't, you can't control what somebody's going to think or feel about it, but the fact that they're even paying attention, that that's, that's showing you something. And I think it's important then to, like you said, not come in hot, but rather just show appreciation, show appreciation. So I do, I'm, I'm grateful. I've learned a lot from this. It's been really good for me. Well, that's very sweet of you to say. Uh, thank you very much for being here. Also, everybody, uh, pay attention to and go, um, not maybe not research, but you know, be aware of uh, therapist abuse and things like that because it's, you know, it's a legit problem. And we, you know, we have fun. Talk, talking about the movie and everything, but we don't want that to get lost in all of this. So that's, you know, an important issue. So keep that stuff in mind. Um, if you haven't seen The Scarepist yet, go watch it. I don't know if you get paid every time somebody watches it on Amazon or not, but why not buy this lady lunch? So, <laughs> so everybody, if you didn't already, go watch The Scarepist. And um, on, the, on behalf of Carrie and myself, we will uh, see everybody 
for next week's regularly scheduled episode. And um, thank you, ma'am. Thank you, mm. sir. That'll do it. I hope you have a, a lovely rest of your evening, and good luck on whatever your next thing is. I hope to see Night Ray one day. <laughs> I <laughs> sure do. I sure hope you guys get the chance. Check out, check out the trailer when you have a chance. Will do. And um, you'll see. I think you'll see uh, that there's some growth happening there too. I think you'll notice uh, when you see it that uh, it's all about just process. It's all a process. Oh, that's yeah, all, that's all you want. You don't want, like you were saying, you don't want your first, look at Richard Kelly. You don't want yeah. who made Donnie Darko. And then yeah. has it made anything since then that anyone gives a shit about? And that people actively disliked, Duffy. you know? Yeah. Look at Troy Duffy and look at how he didn't even get that far. Yeah. You know? Because this whole thing collapsed before he could ever even, I mean, he made it, but it didn't you know, it wasn't able to, it didn't live up to, he was, you know, the golden child, you know, of Harvey Weinstein. And, and that all just unraveled because he wasn't emotionally, you know, mature to the point where he could deal with what was being thrown at him at the time. And I think I can empathize with that. I mean, that's just one of those circumstances where maybe 10 years later, everything happened so fast. I don't know. This is something you might like, Heath, um, on Tubi, there's a documentary called Overnight, I've which seen is Troy. Have you seen it? It's good, yeah. isn't it? And it's also so sad to watch, isn't it? You watch this guy, like, melt down in front of your eyes. And just blow his know? whole world up, yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, it's like, so, I mean, again, like, like you know, that's good that you note that, because it's like, absolutely, just, just accept the trajectory you're on, because... You know, you think you want this thing to happen so quickly. Sometimes, sometimes there's something to be said about slow growth. <laughs> you know what I mean? So good, very, very good point indeed that look at the people who I, in fact, I was contacted by the production designer for Blair Witch Project. And he said, how would you feel if I told you I haven't done any art or direction or production design since that movie? Which is hard to believe that was like over 20 years ago that that movie came out. He said, how would you feel if I told you that? I was like, sadly, I can't say I'm totally surprised, but it's unfortunate that you had your big hit, bam, and now you're just kind of struggling to find your way towards something. You know, it's not easy. So very, very good point. And I, I, I respect your, uh, your sensibility uh, about movies because you obviously know more you may not have made a movie, but you certainly know some things about the making of movies and you appreciate it. And we need that <laughs> big time because otherwise filmmakers are what? Throwing things against a wall and nobody watches it. So, yeah. Well, and we I, try, also, I, I like a little bit of everything. I like artsy art house films and indie films, but I also like Marvel movies because I grew up reading Marvel mm -hmm. comics. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's this such this, nope. there's this polarity of like, you can't like I both know. of those things. And like, I know. it's so funny know. to me that movie critics are like, oh, Marvel movies are destroying cinema. And, but every time a Marvel movie comes out, it gets a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. So you're talking out your face because like, you can't have it both ways. And they're not going to go away. It's what the studios want. It's what they do best, actually, are the, what they call tent poles. Tent poles, I always joke, tent poles in television. That's what studios <laughs> do really well. And what indies do very well is they take a lot of creative chances. Sometimes you're going to land. Sometimes you're going to hit the floor with your face. That's, that's part of the process. It's like 
Jonathan, uh, what is it, Jonathan Sebastian Bach or whatever, you know, it's like sometimes you're going to fall and sometimes you're going to fly. You're going to probably fall more than you're going to fly. And that's what indies are for. Indies are for taking the chances. The studios have no interest in taking those chances. They like putting a lot of money into a movie that they know is going to make a lot of money. And that's what the marvels and the stuff that you describe are. And my opinion is there's room for everybody, you know. Um, yeah, because if people everybody. like it, if that's what people want to see, what there's nothing wrong with. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with spectacle. Ben Hur was a spectacle. That wasn't some little indie movie, you know. But it's in, in fact where you run into trouble is where you say, "Well, the indie has to be the spectacle, and the spectacle has the indie," because you don't want to accept that both coexist, or like you said, that you could enjoy both. Did you ever see the Jim Jarosz movie Mystery Train? Did you ever see that film? Um, not that one. I'm trying to think of which John movie I've seen. I've seen Dead Man. Dead Man, I've I like that one. Uh, Ranger Than Paradise, Down by Law. Yeah, Down by Law, Dead Don't Die. I've seen a couple. I haven't seen a ton of stuff. So that would be like someone saying, you know, I want my Jim Jarmusch movie to be just like Marvel or vice versa. I think Marvel should do Jim Jarmusch. It's like, yeah, yeah, they they don't. That's that's the antithesis of what they are. (laughs) So why can't they? Yeah, why can't they coexist? I like that attitude, actually, that you can like big budget and you can like the television and, you know, binge watching type stuff. And you can also enjoy indie art house and so forth. Definitely, I'm definitely, I mean, I am setting myself up because no doubt, I mean, I'm I'm a Lynch person, for example, not a Tarantino person. There are some hardcore Tarantino fans out there. And I said something on a podcast one time where I was like, well, I was like, great filmmakers don't make really bad first films. And I think that my, you know, my best friend's birthday is not a good film. I'm not saying he's not a great writer. I think he's actually in some ways a better writer than director. That's my opinion. That obviously isn't shared by everybody. I, I'm a big Lynch person. I think he draws a lot from Lynch. But I wouldn't be surprised if anybody hearing that would be like, wow, well, I'm going to rip her apart now because she ripped apart Tarantino. You know, and it's like, so, I mean, people get really, like, possessive about the stuff that they like and want. And, oh, I, and I know. As someone of- who is not really a Kubrick fan, you... I don't even talk about oh. it because people will. Oh my god! Oh I, my god! I'm the same. I'm the same. I think same. he is wildly overrated, but you cannot say that in public, or you will be crucified. <laughs> so, I have, I have actually said that in public, and it probably gets me in trouble. But one of the reasons is because there's a guy I know who irritates me with this Kubrick stuff. So in a way, I'm kind of rubbing salt at him because it's like he's just Kubrick, 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 and I'm like, well, what about Wells? And what about Hitchcock? And what about, no, no, Kubrick? And I almost feel as though he's holding on to that because that's kind of like his own, you know, relationship with cinema. Is It, it has to be Kubrick. You know, Kubrick is the center of it all. He's the greatest. I agree with you. I actually, I don't see that. I'm not saying that he's not a good filmmaker. And I'm not even saying that he hasn't made some great influential films. But this idea that Kubrick is God, you know, I'm just like, in fact, I would say he borrows a lot from Kurosawa. I would say Kurosawa. For I would sure. hold Kurosawa at a higher level than Kubrick, and that would probably get might get me, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I definitely, I'm sure some of it is probably coming. I'm sure in my podcast, I probably offended some of these hardcore people. Um, but like you, it's kind of like, well, I have to stand by what I say. I'm not going to say it if I don't mean it, you know. 
and it's very hard for me to just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, I wasn't gonna come on here and be like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. Will you please?" Do? You know, but I, no, but I no, also, no. but I also knew you weren't gonna come in and be like, "No, you're right. It stinks." Like we were both gonna meet somewhere in the middle, and yeah, everything would be yeah. cool. We were gonna so. find the middle because, because, like I said, I mean, it, it turned out, it turned out better than I could have imagined. I truly feel almost like almost anxious in a good way because it's like this really has brought me to another place as an artistic person that I truly simply have to accept that whatever my intention is or whatever I want to communicate in my work. And I have to stand behind it and say, I made it. I made it with an intention. Someone doesn't like it. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do? Pound it into them that they're wrong or scream and cry or run away or quit, you know, God forbid, you know, I mean, I remember when I read that scathing South by Southwest, you know, uh, guys, the guys who was like, nothing else is the title. I remember just being like, should I just stop like forever? This is, you know, like you, like, you know, artists tend to be, we tend to be insecure people, you know, and that's part of what makes us artists. And what we do is we're willing to put ourselves on a limb, but then you encounter your own insecurity of like, should I even be doing this? Do I suck that bad? You know, you're just like, you know, you're kind of doing this kind of thing. Like maybe I, I should just spare the world and just run away and live under a lemon tree for the rest of my life. You know, those thoughts really do sometimes go through my mind. And then I go, but something greater keeps propelling me forward because it's who I am and what I do. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I think uh, you're, you know, it's just, it's called growing up. It's called growing up as an artist. You guys are helping me grow up as an artist. Well, that's a crazy and thing this to is, say, but I will <laughs> it's true. accept it, I guess. It's true. And it's beautiful that it comes from not someone going, oh, you're wonderful, you're wonderful. Because let's face it, like my friend said, is that all you want is just people telling you how wonderful it is? And no, no, because it's that wouldn't be true. If it's not truthful, right? I, I respect, and I respect that you stood by it too. Just like I'm standing by my perception because that's my perception. Good for you. Good but for I like you. you. And not everything. <laughs> that? Yes. Good for I you. Like you. Not every, oh, I don't have I to like, like the you, movie, but I like you. So. Thank you. Thank you. So something, something didn't convey to you that, or maybe it's just not your movie. I mean, at the end of the day, you just never know. I mean, Obviously, there are people who do like it, and so the idea that it's objectively, categorically bad, which some people want to have that attitude that, you know, my, I'm, I have to be right, or anything that threatens that, you're obviously not coming from that place. But I have seen some people just be like, no, no, no. If I have to be right, then anything that counters that is a threat to me, you know. But, um, well, yeah, another, no, I, another thing to consider is that you're right. We didn't come into the movie with oh, this is going to be bad. But right. because it's a comedy comedy show, I do come Black into comedy. it with, you know, if, as I'm watching it, or if I do find this bad, I have to make jokes. You know what I mean? So it is kind of tilted a little bit. But Yeah. Well, the title itself, you know, is kind of, you know, you know, one of our producers was like, but it's cheesy. And I'm like, well, do you have a better title? And she's like, well, no. I was like, okay, well, if you come up with a list of some possibilities, that will work better. 
but you're absolutely right. Like when you're throwing humor into this tragedy, um, maybe that's a good thing though. Maybe it's a good thing that you can make fun of it because it's like the five-star guy who says this is the new, you know, get your friends together, do a bunch of drugs and enjoy train wreck. <laughs> I mean, that's, if that's what you like to do with this movie, okay then, I'm glad it's, it's you enjoy yourself. You Some, know? Somebody's know still getting say. something out of it, so. Somebody's still getting, well, obviously if it's coming through the, the roulette, I mean, it's been out for six years. I, I know Amazon put a put like an ad like these movies will keep you on the edge of your seat and somebody posted um, something about I didn't even know who this was I had to look it up some character in a TV show his name is like Tobias Funk or something oh from Arrested Development yeah I didn't even know because I haven't watched I was like I was like I don't know what that is but they're like look it's the new Tobias Funk movie. <laughs> You know, maybe just let people have fun. Like, stop thinking, okay, it's your evil stalker. See, that's the thing. It's like, stop thinking it's your evil stalker who hacked all your websites. Because, of course, I'm coming from a place of trauma. That's the one literally was really destructive. And just go, okay, if people are having fun with it, then just by all means, just just let them do it. Just let it go, you know? Like you were saying with the guy who came on, how refreshing to just be like, yeah, whatever, you know? So I, yeah, no, I, again, you guys are helping me grow up as an artist. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you for that. And yeah, I'm sorry. It didn't like the therapist. I, I would have liked it obviously if you had, but if you had, we might not be talking now. So there you go. And well, and I've, it, this might be small comfort, but I will tell you of the, out of the six, this be 63 movies I've done for the show. I can tell you with, certainty that the scarapist would not be in my bottom 15 thank you thank you <laughs> so believe me i've watched considerably worse movies for this show than the scarapist so if you're <laughs> even solidly in the middle you did okay so thank you, thank you. i feel a little better <laughs> yeah because I, I wonder because i had to watch the howling wonder, seven so you're fine that wow. movie's bad. Well, that's the thing is because wow. I get stuff because I get stuff randomly, but it's built on an algorithm. The chances are because but there's thirty thousand C grade horror movies on Tubi, so the ch- percentage chance of me getting one of those every time I push the button is pretty good. So that's mostly what I've had. I've also gotten like Clue and The Dark Crystal and a James Bond movie and Thor and some stuff people have heard of yeah but i've gotten mostly movies that i have never heard of before most of my listeners have never heard of before which is the downside to that is i probably could be a more popular show if i was talking about more popular movies but the upside is i'm talking about movies that i promise you no other podcast ever has talked about yeah because that's good that's, that sets you that apart, sets you apart so yeah. I want to thank you for something else. Neither you or Perry made a snarky remark about the fact that we young, won this Young Critics Award at Berlin Alley because that's been a thing for some people to be like, oh, no, you didn't. And it's like, well, it's on IMDb. And even if it's not a big famous award, we did win it. And, uh, you know, it's like it, IMDb doesn't put fake awards on their website because right. it's hard to even real awards on the website. So that kind of tells it to me. But I appreciate that you guys weren't like, just because we don't like it means ball busting. It absolutely has to suck for everybody. 
you know, and I think that's coming in with that, it made a difference for me. And maybe that made me feel that little bit of opening of like, we, you know, we'll, we talk to her about it. It's like, yeah, why not? You know, because no, if, if anything, if, if anything, seeing that you've won awards and stuff makes me go, am I fucking crazy? Like maybe, no, we're, maybe we're wrong. No, no, no. Actually, you know It doesn't, you know it doesn't it make me want to double down on attacking you or anything. It makes me stop yeah. and consider like, okay, maybe there's more going on here that I'm not getting because clearly well, someone likes this. So yeah, no, it means you don't suffer from cognitive dissonance. It means that you're not one of those 80% that MIT tested that no matter how, what kind of, you know, contradictory data they might present, people want to stick with what they believe because now they, they're, they kind of, their egos have become intertwined <clears throat> with, you know, what they think that they have to be right. And anything outside of that threatens that you guys are sufficiently healthy and confident within yourselves that you can say, well, maybe I missed something or and in fact i would say i don't know that you guys missed anything i think it was only that there were moments where you were like it couldn't be that could it and it's like yeah 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 yeah. you got it you got it the first time you know so it was but i think that's kind of the disorientation of the movie itself because it seems like one thing and then it sort of shifts into something else if you were saying it starts out like it's serious and then it's funny and then it's it kind of runs the gamut like david lurson said it skirts genres and we're not used to that in a movie. Someone said that to me about Night Rain. They were like, so what was the genre you were aiming for? My response was none. As a filmmaker, I guess that's one of the things that's going to become my signature as a filmmaker is I don't aim for a specific genre. I'm, I'm showing a story. I, that's what I do. I, I, I visualize it and I tell the story and maybe people like it, maybe people don't, but I don't write around a genre. I'm going to sit down now and it's going to be a Western. <laughs> and then that's, and then everything follows from that. I don't work that way. And I, I'm not saying that it's wrong for people to work that way because in the commercial world, that's often how it's done. But again, I'm not in that business of doing things that way where I down a think tank with a group of, you know, accountants and attorneys, and we determine how much something can make based on who's packaged into it. And it has to be this genre and it has to have these qualities that you could punch into a computer. You know, you're, you're making something with your own hands and head and heart. So look at God, you look at David Lynch and it's like, you look at especially the most recent Twin Peaks and you're just like, I mean, I appreciate it. But I can see how a lot of people were just like, what? What did you just do? You ass. You know, how could you do such a thing? Like, it's just stupid. It makes no sense. So, you know, it has a lot to do with our own sensibilities and expectations. But I think when you're skirting genres like that, and like I said, that's becoming more common now. But in 2015, nobody really wanted that. Festivals didn't even want that kind of thing because they want something that is a firm line. It is this. This is what it is. So, no, I think it's it's natural that you would question and say, is this actually being funny now? Why would this be funny here? Because this is happening. And it causes you to question that. But, no, your your intuition was right the first time. And, and I couldn't tell you how many times I was like, yes, yeah. Like, I have notes where I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> and you were guys were like, no. And I'm like, yes, you got it the first time. <laughs> so, 
it might just be as simple as that. <clears throat> that it's just it's odd. It's an odd movie. It's an odd. It's an odd movie. It's odd. You're right about that. It's it's a bit odd. And it's it you you like the taste of something odd. Maybe maybe you don't. Maybe you do. But boy, you got it when you said this is is this funny. Katie is actually a comedian, a comedian actress, and, and that was the, you know, when you call something full metal batshit, you know that you, <laughs> you know that you're finding something to be oddly humorous. Let's say <laughs> a, a, a little off base humorous, an unsettlingly, unsettlingly humorous. I think one person wrote five stars. Someone that goes by Oregon communities, something center or circle or something, and they wrote. They wrote five stars. You know, the, you know when you wake up from a nightmare and, and you don't really know for sure anymore what's real, that's this movie. And But they liked that it did that to them. I can imagine some people would say, I don't like that this movie did this to me and made me feel like this, right? So who knows? Who knows? But I, I really do think, interestingly enough, your intuition in a lot of cases was, was square on through it. So... You have a sensibility about film uh, more so than you may even realize an intuition about what's going on that many times in my case was total, same with Carrie. You guys were actually totally on point and, and then you were like, maybe not, but you were right on point. So that's, that's saying cool. something. I know. We, we keep, I know. We, we keep saying that we're done talking and then we keep talking. Our, and, and we're not. Our significant others are going to think stuff. something funny is going on. So <laughs> We will. Uh, thank you again. I, yes, thank you. I will uh, <laughs> we'll you let you go, and, and I'll get to work on this in, in a day or two. Uh, I'll have it up. I, I'm sure it'll be and, between the baby and, and other. I'm sure it'll be pretty chopped up, but I'll I'll, I'll make something out of it. Well, if you need any ADR, let me know. I'll be around. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be all right. And and again, I want to thank you for helping me uh, truly. Uh, open myself in a new way and I think really let go because I think this was a necessary step in my own process and in my own life so I do really appreciate it you guys came in with humor clearly with goodwill um, and Carrie too and you were even willing to I could meet little baby Florence <laughs> and so well, yeah no, that's, you guys that's my thing is even if while you were listening to our episode if you were like these assholes don't get it did you at least laugh a couple times because i oh, like to think definitely. i'm funny so no, no. <laughs> that's well, all i care like, about is being funny what, like at one point she was like but why the rocks or water and i was like i mean there was a point where i kind of found myself going i think i even wrote something at one point down where i was just like i was like um i heard i heard i heard i could hear florence in the background and you guys were making this really like significant point and i just i think it was like so, oh you know i was i think i did laugh about the the closet and the lock i think carrie said couldn't they just afford, wasn't it cheaper to make a lock than do the special or is this metaphysical i'm like it's metaphysical but i think i thought to myself i kind of chuckled because i was like when she said couldn't you afford a lock and wouldn't that have been cheaper and couldn't you iron and things i mean i have to say that was pretty funny like i was like picturing it because i'm like um I'm like, well, it just goes to show you that you really can have any perception you want about something, whether it's intended or not. It doesn't matter because it kind of makes it more fun that way. 
<laughs> and I mean, the pink blankie thing, for example, that is pretty out there. If you don't know that that really happened, and she really had a pink blankie and pillow. It is pretty weird, you know, and talking in the mirror to herself, like you guys were talking about that. It's like, oh, and there her voice goes again. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Do you know, originally, I wanted to do almost a whatever happened to Baby Jane thing where she put her hair up in pigtails and had like really dark lipstick. And two of the producers wow. outright rejected that. I think it would have actually been kind of cool myself. Because again, if you're going to go over the top, you might as well go way over the top like Betty Davis did, right? Yeah, that would have so got there. So what happens, if there's a two and a three, we'll, you know, now that I have more artistic <laughs> confidence, we'll see where this goes. But you guys are, you have a good, you have a good spirit about things and be proud of yourselves. Because remember, small can be big, small can be big. Look at how we've come together and you guys have made an effect on my artistic trajectory and, and evolution. So there you go, small can be big. Well, and you too. Thanks. Uh, all right. Have a have a lovely evening. Maybe we'll talk again one day. <laughs> it's conceivable. We just so. might. You you never know where the roulette wheel is going to spin and land. So just you know, stay cool and and take good care of each other because you guys seem like a really cool family. Yeah. Uh, something to really be proud of. All right. Be safe. Have fun. Bye. Thanks. Bye.